George Serrano, a.k.a. The Don. And if you're listening to this, you could only be here for one reason, and that's a brand new episode of the Major Issues Podcast brought to you by Comic Book Click. And as you know, I am never alone. Sir, please introduce yourself. I'm the man who watches The Watcher, Gregory Thomas, a.k.a. GT Rebirth. GT Rebirth is here in studio, and today is a solemn day. It's a day of remembrance. It's a day of mourning. Uh, We decided that today and this episode would be specifically dedicated to the industry juggernaut himself, the icon, uh, the creator of many of our favorites over at Marvel Comics. Uh, This would be our Stan Lee tribute episode. Greg, last time you were here, we had our swords and shields (laughs) in hand to talk about some DC stuff. Um, And what's odd is, I hope I don't sound callous in saying this, but... Um, Stan was up in years, and we kind of all felt like this day would, was going to come, mm-hmm. but we still, like, I was going to be surprised any day it happened. Like, any day that we were told that he was gone, because the man's always seemed 90 to me. Yeah. <laughs> and he's always been so energetic and vibrant in his old age that I don't think I ever would have uh, suspected um, him ever going. and. With the last couple years that we've been hearing some kind of maybe nefarious things working around with his money mm-hmm. and stuff, I know we we in the chat used to sit there and talk about like I hope everything's okay. You know he's not he's not doing any more public appearances and stuff. But I, I guess give me a little bit of what was going on in your head when you heard the news uh, this past Tuesday that uh, Stanley had passed away. Uh, it it it's definitely something that even though like you said like a man that high up in an age you sort of see it coming but at the same time like it strikes you like you know it oh it finally happened oh damn that oh that's sad at the same time considering what you just mentioned uh a story that could have been a lot more like tragic and nefarious it was just like a man who lived a, f- a full life went out peacefully and like you couldn't really ask for anything more. That's true. I was um, I was taken aback. I actually had taken the day off of work, so I was working on a lot of our um, social media stuff. And then this came out, and it blew social media mm-hmm. up. Um, they say a lot about, you know, various people have had their various opinions about comic books. But one of the things that I've realized, especially when starting uh, Comic Book Click and Major Issues itself, is how much of it is the connective tissue to a society that doesn't necessarily feel connected a lot of the times. Um, you don't realize how much these, um, this, these, this art form, in particular comic books, has reached people until you sit in a... In a unless you've been in the human traffic of a, of a Comic-Con, or you sit in, <laughs> you're forced to sit in the very front row at a Marvel movie because it's jam-packed. Yes. Like... It's connected people for years, so to see the outpouring of affection and emotion and uh, just great stories that people have told. Um, I'm a Kevin Smith fan, and he had a whole uh, episode, a whole podcast episode, Mm -hmm. where he was just letting people recant uh, Stan Lee stories. Um, How do you feel about the outpouring of emotion and those affected? I feel like a lot. I, I didn't. There was a lot of people affected that I didn't really necessarily think were going to be, which I guess maybe I was downplaying the effects. Of Marvel Comics and the the immense impact that uh, Stanley had, but uh, I thought it was really cool to see some people come out of the woodwork. I did too. Like I I I always did look at the comic book community as like a 
a smaller community in its own right, like like large but small. Yeah. Like there are a lot of people who, uh, again to use the term I, I kept using last time, a lot of people have a peripheral knowledge of comic books because a lot of it is just um, icon iconography that is sort of bigger than the brand. Yeah, it's our folklore. It's our modern day uh, absolutely folklore. You know, like uh, even though you don't know any, you may not know anything about Norse mythology, but you've heard of Thor. Right. You know, you know about the the Norse god with the big hammer. Yeah. You know, you know what the Captain America symbol looks like or Superman or Batman or you like everyone knows Spider-Man on some degree, especially when they've peddled out like eight TV shows. Yes. But that's true. <laughs> they keep that Spider-Man afloat. Yes, they do. Um so it was it, I was still pretty surprised to see the amount of people on Twitter that put some stuff out. My favorite one was like Webster's dictionary, not Webster's um Merriam-Webster's, uh, wasn't it? Uh, yes, I'm sorry. Yes, you're right. It's both Merriam-Webster yeah. who put out the definition to Excelsior yeah. on their twi- on their Twitter page. I was like, wow, that that reached some place I never expected it to go. Yeah, yeah it was pretty legit. Um, a lot of high end celebrities talking about Stan Lee, people who never even worked on Marvel movies, but like there was something out there from that brand that touched them. Yeah. Um, a lot of people who you wouldn't even consider part of the comic book community, but have gotten into these movies, or maybe, or maybe they just really like Agents of Shield. Like yeah. there is a connection there. There's so many people who have, um, <laughs> their bank accounts is because of Stan Lee. Yeah. the creations of Stan Lee, and um, I could see somebody not being, uh, you know, a true could, blue comic book fan prior right. getting a getting a role. Realizing how much deeper the role gets because of how much literature has actually been and ink has actually been spilled upon the character uh, arcs and progression of some of these characters. And then they meet the man himself because the man comes on set because he's getting ready to do his cameo. Yeah. You know, um, you could almost I, argue that this thing Stan Lee created saved Robert Downey Jr.'s career. Yeah. You know, and it, it, it was a it became a uh, desperate times cost for desperate measure situation. At Marvel, with the creation of the MCU, in a way, because they had all only what they had left over from their massive, um, you know, uh, rights right deals sales. that they did, yeah, yes. with with Spider Man, which is crazy because a lot of the the Stan, you know, uh, a lot of the characters that Stan helped create early on in uh, Marvel's uh, Renaissance are the ones that got sold right away. Yeah. The Fantastic Four, the X Men, the and Spider Man. Um, you know, amongst others, and so to uh, desperate times calls with desperate, des- I mean, uh, desperate for actions, yeah, uh, desperate actions. You go and you start getting what some would disparagingly call B-list characters from Marvel mm-hmm. that didn't reach possibly the same heights as a Spider-Man or a Fantastic Four or an X-Men, and you create a Marvel Cinematic Universe. And in the same way, this this desperation dates back all the way to the '60s, right? Because Stan is a man who is attributed. Amongst uh, Stan is the man. Yeah, well, he is the man. <laughs> uh, he's a man attributed to um, saving. Yes. Marvel Comics, uh, and, and maybe even comic books. Period. Yeah, in general, he served in the military, mm-hmm. which is cool because you know I'm a I'm a veteran, so I thought that was pretty cool. And his official title was a playwright. Hmm. That was his official title in the U.S. military. Was uh, he was a playwright? And I'm, there's been so many other. There's only been a few who've done it, but his list is up there with people who've created, like, some of the greatest literature and, and, and film scripts ever, so I guess, you know, that makes Interesting. That, uh, like Dr. Seuss. I keep imagining him putting together, like, those USO shows now. 
I would love to see him and Dr. Seuss, like, in the, like some kind of like, oh, like MASH kind of show, but just him and Dr. Seuss, and he's like, get those rhymes out of here. And he's like, well, I don't want, I don't want any animals biting other people and getting power, so you keep that on your side. But um, if I could draw, I would, I would totally do that. When do you remember first hearing or seeing Stanley? Um, so my first introduction to Stanley, I, I want to say, was when he did the walk-on for Spider-Man the Animated Series. Okay. And it was like, it was something I didn't, I don't think I fully grabbed onto as a child yet. But you remembered it. it, it I was, remember it. It stood and, out. Huh? It stood out. Like, yeah. In comparison to the rest of the show. It's like, But in a sense also because like, that's not only just an odd walk-on, but like... Oh, that's the guy whose name is on the opening credits every time the show comes on. Okay, yeah. cool. It was like they wrote the guy who made the thing into the show. That's interesting. Um, only to find that that would become a thing that would never go away. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I uh, first saw Stan, or first heard Stan, on um, Spider-Man and the Amazing Friends. Okay. So it was Iceman, Starfire, not Starfire, Firestar. Huh. You gotta different, differentiate these things. Yes, uh, GT. It was Firestar, Iceman, and Spider Man, and they were all just hanging out. They were, I had an apartment in mm -hmm. New York where they those three, uh, uh, three's company esque situation, right. and they would hit like a button, and all their furniture would flip and become like high tech, like like Bat Cave esque material, <laughs> which is weird because I didn't remember Spider Man ever needing that. No, Iceman either. Like, but they were they would get to cracking, and he would introduce all those episodes and he would um uh take us to break like and now next time right. and you know, see i came i came after that period that everyone was just like like this is stanley here talking about the amazing spider-man like yeah. i completely missed that stuff yeah so like i had to catch him in these um sort of how do you say random acts of you know writing uh the first time i think i've actually had a idea of who he was was the one cameo no one, very few people get to talk about, which is non-comic book related, which is Mallrats. This is true. Him just having that once, like, a few scenes in Mallrats, which is like, you're Stan Lee. I was like, oh, I get it now. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of people uh, credit Kevin Smith for introducing officially yeah. Stan Lee to a group of people uh, who necessarily didn't know what his contributions were. Right. So that just shows how he much... He would be the guy. Yeah, right? That shows how um, grateful the combo community is. That This works a lot in that favor. That's the reason why these cameos are so um, entertaining is because we understand his... Um, how integral... Yeah, how integral he is to the, the creation of these um, characters here. But what a lot of people remember from Stan is like I said that whole renaissance that, that whole thing going on in the early 60s where um, he's basically you know that that on his luck working with the with the fledgling timely now Marvel Comics <laughs> and um, he is facing a juggernaut because 20 years prior to this you know you got Schuster and um, Siegel mm -hmm. creating Superman we tackled Bob Kane and Bill Finger creating uh, Batman here on the show mm -hmm. um and he has an uphill battle now because he now has to create the thing that beats the, these characters who've been around for 20 years. Yeah. Wonder Woman as well. Aquaman comes shortly after that. So w the formation of what we would known as, what will be known as the Justice League is basically coming, coming mm -hmm. to be. I I, I want to say it had to have happened right before um, one of Stan's 
bigger creations, but we'll talk about that in a second. Where they fight a starfish. Yes. <laughs> uh, Starro. Uh, where's my Starro sleep mask? I think it's around here somewhere. <laughs> but, um, yeah, this, uh, I, I don't know if I could have tackled something like that. Come up with the next McDonald's, right? Like, like um, it's, it's difficult because now you, like, okay, here's the first thing. I need to do my best to not be in any way derivative of the only examples I have of this brand. Right. And how do you do that? How do you... It's like how many people took away from uh, Kurosawa as yes. far as those movies are concerned. But those were the we still, movies. We still do, we still <laughs> do scenes that, that uh, harken back to Akira Kurosawa today. Yeah, so it's like, well, if we had more. <laughs> if we had more to, to work off of, we'd do more. But you're right. Like, how do you do the... Uh, you know, the last son of Krypton story is already told. The, the guy going for vengeance for his dead parents is already told. Mm-hmm. Um, and the... the these are characters that are lasting, you know, time. These are not, um, like, movie or, ser- uh, like, movie characters who sometimes fall in and out of the relevance, the zeitgeist and the relevance of, mm-hmm. of the society and stuff. Uh, Superman was still making ton- tons of money. Same yeah. thing with Batman. In the 60s, Batman was getting ready to have his first live-action show, which is, like, that's bananas. The only one I know who, the only movie character I can say that has kept like such a resilience in that time is probably James Bond. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we're still making James Bond movies with several different actors. Yeah. But when you think of things like that, you think of like, um, we spoke on here last week about it, things like <laughs> Robin Hood or um, Johnny Appleseed. Or... Still trying to get Robin Hood to work. Yes. Well, because we, we I, that's <laughs> I feel like the same issue with Superman. We keep thinking we have to change it for Maybe. new audiences. I've never seen the first two, so I can't. Listen, my definitive Robin Hood is the one where he's a fox. So. That's the only one I've ever seen. <laughs> so that's my... But we're on the same page on that one. you never seen Robin Hood Men in Tights? I, I, I've seen that, but that's like I, I know it's a parody, so like I don't, I don't put yeah. it up there with, like, uh, you know, Superman's two papas. Right, 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 right. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I don't think I can take a, a straight-on somber version of Robin Hood because all the ones I, I've seen and I like are a little bit jovial, a little bit more, like... It's fun that we're stealing. Like, the, new, the new one looks like he's having some fun. Yeah. Taron Edgerton is just like, I'm shooting arrows and I'm stealing from people. This is great. Don't you know? I'm Electro. That's all I need. <laughs> oh, in that, Jesus, in that's that But then I'll be good. Um, but yeah, you, you got the uphill battle because these things have become brands and people have made a bunch of money off of them. There's legal disputes and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So Stan is now on, you know, creating on behalf of Marvel. And, you know, we would be remiss to not include Jack Kirby, King Jack Kirby, mm. um, on that list. Uh, and ta- uh, very, very talented uh, artist and who basically c- created a lot of these things right there alongside Stan. Yeah. And depending on who you ask, had sometimes more um, input <laughs> on these characters' creations that than is, that, Stan. That, that is the Piper to his Hogan. Yes, yes. And so it's their synergy that makes things uh, basically come afloat, but... Right from 1961, we get Marvel's answer to the Justice League, right? Mm-hmm. Stan's editors come to him and they're like, they're doing something over there where they're putting all their heroes together and they're making them some sort of team. Uh, we like that too. And Stan, from Stan's mouth, he says that he tried to differentiate that team by not making them just a team, but making them a family. Yes. And so we get Marvel's first family, the Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. Um, which was admittedly a blind spot for me um, growing up. The Fantastic. I just didn't get them. I didn't understand them. But as I've grown older, and I realized how much history comic books have in general, right. and how they inform 
literally the culture around us, Fantastic Four had a humongous impact. Yes, it did. Um, I was aware of the, again, like the short-running cartoon show they did with Fantastic Four, which may have had one of the sillier theme songs for openings for a cartoon. That Hulk one is kind of bad, too. I've never seen that. Yeah, it's pretty funny. But uh, they always felt like they had to have a jingle, and it's like with these guys, <laughs> it's superheroes. Like, why do we have like this one was just hilarious because it's like, like it, it's just seeing everyone's powers, and it's like Fantastic Four, fire, <laughs> he's a rock. Yes, that's it. <laughs> so, um, like I remember enjoying that show a bit, although like it wasn't the best, maybe characterizations of them. Like okay. it's just like the thing is mean and big and really enjoys fighting people and has a temper. Right. You know, Johnny Storm's an idiot kid and like Sue Storm's the lovely damsel of the of them, even though she's technically the most powerful of the four of them in a way. I, I do actually like um the eventual uh Sue Richards that we get. Sue Storm. Yes. Where they the make Sue her Storm more I read in Hickman's um in Hickman's Fantastic Four was just like, yo, Sue Storm is the baddest one yeah. in this group she and not, I am scared not play of her. That woman. She will pop uh, <laughs> she will pop your brain. Did you even look at Valeria funny? Nope. No. She she uh is a force to be reckoned with in the future. But yeah, I could say that. But I I also feel like in those eras that was very tropey, right? Yes. You just put a absolutely. girl on the team and she was the one that um was You had to protect the woman. Yes. Um but Fantastic Four sets a humongous precedent. Mm-hmm. Um one for having these um heroes uh, place of origin not be like Pleasantville or right or right. Uh, small town USA. It's New York City. Yes, and it's not. It's never. Um, they never play around with the idea that this is taking place in an actual city, mm-hmm. and so that's one of the big things is how New York becomes a backdrop for a lot of these creations that Stanley and Jack Kirby end up making, mm. um, and guys like Steve Ditko uh, who was part of the Marvel bullpen, but. Marvel starts to get off the ground not only with characters like Fantastic Four um, and they're being rooted in New York City, but Fantastic Four also didn't have secret identities. Right. Everyone knew who they were. They were famous almost. Mm-hmm. And that fame is the, sell- is the salesmanship of Stan, right? Saying, oh, our guys are here and people know about them and they are famous. They are famous in our books. And therefore famous in reality. Because when you read them, you feel like you are learning something that everyone else already knew. Right. And so he's already started to create this sort of, uh, no pun intended, clicky (laughs) nature (laughs) of Marvel Comics. And that's basically, there's so much of what I was hearing about um, how he felt about Marvel Comics that speaks to what uh, the feelings that we're trying to cultivate here as part of comic book and major issues. But the idea that like we are all together because we care about this and mm-hmm. we all uh take this seriously and it's as seriously as we take it and we defend it and um it's a it's a club that you don't got to be in but if you're in your family right and um it's cool to see how how he was the founder or you know the founder of that sort of fandom mm-hmm. early 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 on um, um, becoming a, a character in his own right, be, uh, creating Stan Soapbox, where yes. he's actually able to sit there and talk directly to the, to, um, to the fan base, yeah, to the fan base, and, and and in such an informal manner. Yes, you know, it's it, it wasn't like it, it wasn't you know uh, you wrote in a letter and then you're like, well, James, I'm 
glad you wrote into us, and I we understand your opinion. It's like he's like, hey, buddy. Yeah, yeah. Glad you wrote in for it. Let me tell you what I thought. And Stan's sense of humor, in many ways, was was silly. Uh-huh. Uh He was self depreciate himself constantly. To self depreciate himself, he was self depreciate deprecate himself, um, and it allowed a level of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Uh, from somebody that didn't like P.T. Barnum I don't know what P.T. Barnum did right like he was in the back he brought, he brought all the elephants out and the people who used to like swallow swords and fire and stuff Hugh Jackman told you yeah you understand Hugh Jackman there's a whole movie about, about it, it. <laughs> there's a whole movie about it oh there's uh, a Stanley that, that movie needed a Stanley cameo <laughs> but Stan gets in front of this brand mm-hmm. trumpets its success and uh, where it's going to be and um, allows himself to be an accessible member of the team, not yes. just a member of the team that uh, was just in the byline and stuff. And they say that he fought for a lot of the those first artist credits that, in a lot of ways, people, those names weren't on the front covers of stuff. Like, right. Written by artists, you know, pencils. Mm-hmm. Now we get to the point that everything's on, right? <laughs> they, they, yes, like writer, names. pencils, colorist, letter. And, and I didn't know the, what a letterer was until a month ago. <laughs> And for good reason, like these people should be um, accredited, accredited, and acknowledged yes. for the, their their um, ability to help this medium move forward. Uh, I guess, and the medium has progressed in such a much more sophisticated way since Stanley's day. Like, if you look at an old Stanley written comic and look at a Spider-Man book today, it is so miles apart. I have an interesting question. Do you <laughs> think that that is something that? was a natural progression for the medium, or do you think that that's something that Stan spoke into existence? The progression of the medium? Yeah. Because initially, it was kind of seen as passe and childish. People to this day are still saying the comic books uh, <laughs> are only for children and uh, shouldn't be an adult uh, pastime. But, uh, screw those people. But anyway, um, do you think that because Stan was such a serious... Um, liaison for this medium that it made other people f- have the confidence to take it seriously or do you think that comic books would have always been taken seriously eventually um i think the progression of the uh the the medium would have progressed on its own if even for the fact that like technology would have forced it to progress yeah like once we got better ways to print art and once we had better ways to draw art and then once the proliferation of digital art came into play it was always going to progress on that level yeah. um i think as more corporations came up even if it wasn't stan it would have been somebody else yeah you know uh somebody would have decided well why don't we go in this direction i think it 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 helps that stan was the first voice and it, it helped a lot to increase his uh to increase his his legend so to speak because like that's who he is he's the guy who almost who pretty much changed comic books for uh, I guess you could say for the better. Yeah. For the betterment of comic books in branching out ways we can tell a story. Yeah, and definitely uh, showing that there's more than one story you could tell in a cape. Like yeah. that, that the you, we're not relegated to the same um, stories that we have been hearing. We can we can write a teenager and he doesn't have to be the sidekick. Right. You and know? um, you know, speaking of which, we last week when we were talking about uh, Man of Steel and stuff like that, we were talking about reinventing Batman. Yes. Batman gets reinvented in Dark Knight uh, Returns, written by Frank Miller. Right. But people, a lot of people feel like that is informed by Frank Miller's work on Daredevil. Daredevil right. being a, create, a, a creation of Stan Lee. Yes. <laughs> you understand? So it's this idea that 
he he's allowing some of the um, people, some of the most prolific artists and writers, to work on creations that didn't exist mm-hmm. twenty years prior to them touching the stuff, um, and then allowing them to see it to their vision of it, not the editorial or company's vision of it. Right. Like, there was a reason why the Daredevil book felt different than the X-Men book, which felt right. different than the Spider-Man book. They were they were different stories that they were telling. And although they existed in the same universe, Stan let talented people run off with those things. Mm-hmm. You would your Chris, uh, Chris, Chris Claremont's, Claremont's and stuff like that. Your Chris uh, Claremont's, your... Uh uh, who, who wrote the uh, yeah Frank Miller with the with the Born Again storyline and 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 Ben and Bendis later on with Daredevil, um guys like um, who wrote Doctor Strange? Uh, Dicko, Dicko D- was yes. on, Stra- on Strange, yeah, because Dicko was also on Spider Man. Uh, yeah, you you have and Dicko's ability to explore like really trippy, crazy ideas with Doctor Strange and magic. And Jack Kirby, man. Some of these drawings, like, the Galactus stuff always bugs me out. Like, whenever they show his spaceship, it's just, like, tubes drawn in these intricate mazes. Mm-hmm. And you see the same stuff when you look at the uh, the Fourth World artwork yes. uh, of, um, you know, Jack Kirby's Fourth World, which is where you get characters like Mr. Miracle and Darkseid and all those, um, you know, out-of-this-world creations. And those were all just in Jack's head. Yeah. Like, that's, I, I, think, I think Jack was a bit induced. Yeah, he might have been. There's, there's those funny cigars he was smoking. I think somebody needs to check one of those things. Um, but the Fantastic Four, uh, they also had a uh, a byline on top of the, the issue. Did they? I have to look it up. But it was also, it was like the greatest. It was, and no, for real, the it was greatest. like the greatest comic book of all time. It, oh. it, on, the top of, on the top of all of them. And he made it a point to come up with these... Um, these monikers, these these like like fantastic and amazing. Yeah, and the amazing Spider-Man. Yeah, I just try to look up Fantastic Four and Fantastic Beast. Came <laughs> up. Uh, it, it's topical. Yeah, I guess right. Uh, yeah, it oh, was yeah. always the the amazing Spider-Man, the mighty Thor, Incredible Hulk, the Incredible Hulk. Yeah, the story of a guy who who doesn't really want to be this this superhero character and. And a, and a person people don't understand. I've never gotten into the Hulk, but I understand sort of the the mythos about it. Yeah, you know, it's really just Bruce Banner who doesn't who doesn't want to be this thing, and uh, and another side of him that like isn't really a bad person, but is misunderstood and is quick to rage. And it's uh, I mean, the the parable is right there, right? Uh, yeah. Jekyll and Hyde. Yes. One of the oldest stories uh, told, and and how you modernize it. Um, a lot is spoken about about uh, the creations of Stan Lee in these early 60s with creations like the Fantastic Four and other creations that we'll, we'll name in a bit. Um, a big distinction is that these were creations made after we dropped the atomic bomb. Yes. And so because of that, we were starting to deal with things like radiation and... Mm-hmm. Um, Gamma waves. Yes. And uh, what is it? 
uh, molecule, unstable molecules, <laughs> unstable molecules, the most, the most hand wavy thing. Right. They're just unstable. It's yeah, like, they're unstable. <laughs> what do you it's, care? It's science. They're just unstable. You want to understand it more than I do? Just accept that. I have a comic here. Uh, so on the top of every Fantastic Four comic said the world's greatest comic magazine, <laughs> and this is Stan Lee's baby. So of course you would. Why not? Why wouldn't yes. you pageant? Uh, you know, uh, toot the horn of the Fantastic Four. I thought that was uh, pretty. Pretty cool there. Uh, I, I, I appreciated it, even though, like, you could say it's gotten a bit more wonky and they've almost switched places at this point. I appreciate the concept of that, like, Marvel is supposed to be the world outside your window, you know, but with superheroes. Um, so, like, you got to tell very real world stories. Right. The the X Men is just a story of, you know, uh, I, I'm not, not outright bigotry, but just like a misunderstanding something different than you. Yeah. And being afraid of it. And the other side of that fence, how how do people feel when people have made uh, prejudices against them yes. without knowing them as as actual humans? As, how, how, what's the day in the life of that every day? Right, where you have to you're afraid of going outside because people are jumping to conclusions about you because of what people have said. And even with like, I, 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 those are just you know the 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 regular working ones with powers, but like like the Morlocks that had that are forced to live underground because we mistreat, we mistreat them because they look funny. Yeah. You know, maybe they're really short or their faces are misshapen or people that were people that got sent to circuses to be the freak shows. And you considering know what I mean? that there's a subset of mutant is like, yeah, they're already treating mutants like crap. But there's a right. subset underneath that. And, you know, that's something you speak of. Um, that there's a lot of poverty in Marvel Comics. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of the of the working man. There's a lot of and, you know, New York has its own history with the homeless. Yes. Um, so there's no there's no ignoring that. And just the same way there's no no way of no ignoring um, the humongous melting pot that New York is. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in leaning into uh, race relations and stuff like that or, or just treat, uh, how humanity should treat one another like in parables like X-Men and stuff. Yeah. Um, that you are... You're you're rooting it even more in realism. Yes. Uh, although you're talking about the fantastical, the, you're talking about civil rights. You know, you're talking mm-hmm. about human rights. You're talking about um, how we should treat one another and what, how we discern how we should treat one another. Just because we look the same or look different, all those kind of stuff. Um, bigots and um, and uh, you know the rich that that went to prey on the poor were always the villains. Right. You know they were always put in that in that uh villainous vein um well we were covering lethal protector and there's an entire arc about a subterranean (laughs) (laughs) a subterranean um society that is ignored by the rest of society but they live fine and there's a lot of that like where what is your home yeah because gotham is you know batman's home and metropolis is um superman's home but new york is all of our homes and so Mm -hmm. You can't, Spider-Man can't say, like, New York is his, but he has a corner there. So does the Fantastic Four and Upstate, the X-Men do. And so it was always about, like, why, even though we're all in this same world, what is your world? Yeah. What is your perspective? What is your what is your corner of this uh, Marvel Universe? Um, but you were talking a little bit before about the idea of not, of creating a character that was a teenager, but not a sidekick. Yes. You want to expand on that a little bit? Yes, that being um, our friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, who's just like, he's just this kid that has, um, who has this whole new world thrust upon him through happenstance, you know, d- d- despite the fact that they want to tell you that there's a spider totem and he was a part of a 
grander scheme and, and whatnot. And there's two spiders, Greg. There's two. There was two of them, yes. That's I know. Another one. I just want to keep making this thing bigger and grander and making it all more complex. But And one of them is a pig. He's a spider pig. It's coming out next month. I like the Spider-Verse to a degree. It can get a little wonky. But um, just like this 15-year-old child who uh, grows up over time, but it's just like, it's just a kid trying to balance being a teenager getting through high school, but also stricken with this now cliche but massive responsibility to use what he has for the for you know some sort of better purpose yeah and yet at the same time even as he grows up it's just like okay now i have this thing that i do and i want to help people i've also got to pay rent somehow yeah so it's like i'm sort of defrauding this newspaper by selling pictures of myself just so i can get by yeah and i also have i have to lie I have to. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to lie when you're an alien, and it's easy to lie when you're a millionaire. Right. But when you're a 15-year-old kid still living with your aunt and uncle, mm-hmm. how do you lie? How do you continue to sneak off? How do you right. you know, hide the, the bruises and the bandages and all that kind of how, stuff? How do you continue to lie to this girl you supposedly love and want to spend the rest of your life with, but you have to go you know, save the bank <laughs> right. from Dr. Octopus? And you know, there was the constant wooing of characters like um, Gwen Stacy and Mary Jane, whereas... Like, besides that, that little hokey, like, I like Superman, but I don't like Clark. Like, they kind of just got to the point with that. Like, Lois yeah. was Superman's, you know, uh, love interest. Like, right. That, that was it. Batman, I guess they thought he was too cool for that. But, um... I don't know if Batman's ever had... I, I feel like Batman's never one. had now he has. A... Now he has a cat, so. Sure, but, like, like, compared to everyone else, there's never been that, you know, long-term love interest character for Batman. Yeah. It's always... a bunch of will they won't they's i can see that i feel like with um with spider-man like we were talking about before adding that level of realism to him being young and um stuff is also the idea that he was a nerd Mm -hmm. so he was bullied um which often causes inaction we spoke about that before right right? how fear causes inaction and so you know i i don't remember but i don't think that young peter parker prior to the bite is all about like saving people no not at all you know you're more in that thing you're more about not being noticed you kind of just don't want to rock the boat you don't want to you know get on anybody's radar so you just go you do your work he was he was smart Mm -hmm. um very studious so he would go and uh you know write dissertations and all this other kind of like really really smart kid yes but for the most part didn't want to rock the boat didn't want to you know shake the foundation of anything. Then he gets these powers and even then only uses them to help himself. Mm-hmm. The man tries to uh, g- get a job like on TV and he has like, you know, um, he's getting fame and all that kind of stuff. And then we get Starts the getting real... into pro wrestling matches just yeah. to, you know, earn we, some easy cash. We get the real hammer of the story of um, Spider-Man when we realize that it doesn't matter if you have all these powers if you're not willing to use them for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. Because while he has these powers... Uh, as the story goes, his promoter is robbed uh, by a gunman, and when instead of helping that gunman, he feels like it's not his issue, and then, oh, instead of stopping that gunman, yeah, stopping that gunman, and then that gunman goes and kills his uncle, uncle Ben, uncle ben, which then gives him an uh, actual reason to join the fight because, um, and while while this is cliche, this they do something similar in Luke Cage, yes. right, where he doesn't have a reason to fight until pops. Spoiler alert, gets killed. Um, Spoiler alert for a show that's two years old. And canceled now. So, yes. you know, uh, yeah. 
Um, and if you're listening to this show and you haven't seen Luke Cage, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what's going on with you. You missed the whole episode because of it. It's yeah. Come on, it's so good. But I feel like somebody was writing that off as cliche. To a degree, sure, but and I and I get it, right? But to me, I feel like it's shorthand for something very, very um, important that mm-hmm. needs to be said, which is this idea that you may not think that something affects you, right? But it goes further and bigger than you do, and while it may not affect you now, it will eventually will. Mm-hmm. And when it does, it might be too late for you to pick a side, right. or it might be too late for you to be be able to do to um, change things around you. And sometimes a side is picked for you, right? Because because the thing that you chose to ignore knocks on your door, and mm-hmm. at that point, what what can you do? So for um, for um, Spider Man, it, it to me it it centers on this massive uh, this massive cloud of his like his guilt that he constantly has to wrestle with. I can't do the things I want to do because if I ignore this, something bad could happen and it will constantly remind me of that one thing that I feel guilty about for the rest of my life. Yeah. And it's something I, I will always have to weigh against the things I want, whether I want to go on a date with Mary Jane or spend time with my old aunt or, you know, spend time with my best friend Harry, who I haven't seen in months because I'm so busy doing this. Right. Or somehow... And he has some goblin disease. Oh, no, that's something else. <laughs> or somehow, you know, find the hours to work a job to make to pay my rent. Yeah, because... and, and my boss actively doesn't really like me, but he hates the guy that I'm taking pictures of. Right. You know, uh, at what level am I just going to let this amount of slander take place while, right. while I'm making a picture? My, my, my vocation for making money is giving pictures to the guy who uses those photos to slander me constantly in the <laughs> right. media. Yeah. Um, also, but you also have another character who has the the weight of guilt on his shoulders in Daredevil. Yeah. Who who is constantly balancing his his Catholic uh, ideals with spending his nights punching people in the face. And his virtues are so strong. That they in, they inform his um, his I guess you would call it day job or whatever. Right. Where he's a full time lawyer. You yeah. know, he cares enough about the justice system and stuff to to be there. And I think that's such an interesting day job to give somebody. Again, it's so hand wavy where you be like, well, he's a fighter, so he's a fighter pilot. You know what I'm saying? Right. Or he's a he's a, you know he has a lot of tech, so he's a millionaire. And this guy was already a scientist, so he now makes scientific inventions. Mm-hmm. That's easy, but I the idea that that Daredevil would have to be a man who not only respects and understands the rule of law and the and the um, I guess you would say the progression of it, right? Yes. As it goes through its various stages, the system, the system um, but also realizes that it has cracks and has created a persona to get what falls through the cracks. Mm-hmm. That, in an in, in, in outlaw-esque manner. Right. That's got to be such a, you it, know. It, it's a point of contention. Like, how do you how do you play this character of upholding the law whilst being an outlaw on the side? Right. And so Daredevil created by Stan Lee and uh, Bill Everett and a handicapped superhero. Mm-hmm. You know? Another a thing for... Superhero. Another thing for to to reach out to a completely different sect of of fan bases to relate to. Right. So this idea that what while most would think that he is disabled in this thing, he's actually taken his disability and found ways to work around it and actually get um, hone his other senses. And it it's almost 
superheroes under Marvel and under Stan Lee, under a lot of these creations, it's almost superheroes being able to be heroes despite what life has given them, despite the the um, the cards that they have been dealt. They choose to um, still become heroes, even though they might be slighted or be at a disadvantage. What year was um, Daredevil made? Uh, Daredevil is 1964. Interesting. So I'm, I'm reminded also of an old work called The Blind Swordsman, which always reminds ah, yes. me a lot of Daredevil, which is an old sort of, uh, how do you say, uh, samurai martial arts. Yeah, a lot of people of use that. Uh, it's, that's a, lot, a source material for a lot of... Um, a lot of those uh, works is he blind so it's been from, blind uh, protagonist yeah yes or any sort of like handy capable you know I, I can still do this thing despite this particular handicap I may I may have yeah because they assume people assume that because you are disabled or you have a disability that you're completely disabled and that you have not um, you just completely lost a side a side of yourself like your ability to hear your ability to see um, not realizing that if you had lost this for quite some time, that you would have taken the time to adapt and actually, uh, you know, gotten better. Despite 1962, uh, see that just yes. two years uh, prior. So before, um, you know, even though the mutants look that way and they're uncontrollable and they um, people who are not fans of them and they threaten their beliefs, they still choose to help people. Even though uh, Spider-Man is 15 and can barely keep a job and is always broke, he still chooses to help people. Mm-hmm. And, it's and that- even with, um, even now in, like, the Marvel Netflix universe and with the character on the in the books, you have, like, a Misty Knight yeah. who lost an arm and is still able to, you know, with her bionicle replacement, still able to be very much the, maybe not so much the cop she used to be, but the investigator and, and hero of the people. And still feels that passionately mm-hmm. about everything. Um, to bring it back to Spider-Man for a second, you know, Spider-Man is considered Marvel's uh, most profitable it's superhero. Baby. <laughs> yeah, it's baby. It's most profitable. Um, that guy rakes in a lot of money. That, yeah. uh, that Spider-Man, that Peter Parker. We are we are six going on seven films. Yeah, and I think, and we just passed 800 comics of the Amazing Spider-Man. Yes. So um, it, it's run, it's running, and it's rolling. Uh, Despite but, the it, it, with with the several other like. Um, other books they've made. Spider spinoffs. The, the Amazing Spider-Man, the Spectacular Spider-Man. The Renew Your Vows. Yeah. Spider-Man Renew stuff. Your Vows. Spider-Man. Uh, Peter Parker loves Mary Jane. It just speaks. It just speaks <laughs> to the popularity of the character. And um, another thing that Stan did was when we talk about the character of Spider-Man, very much so in that discussion is the character of Peter Parker because Peter Parker is different than Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And Peter Parker has his low, his own interests and his own plans for life and his own um, um, goals that are different than Spider-Man's. But on occasion, he tries to line them up <laughs> right. the same. Where I feel like Batman and Bruce Wayne are one and the same. Superman and um, Clark Kent, Clark Kent are, and Kal-El right? are all one and the same. Spider-Man has to live a regular life while on the side helping people. Right. Because he cannot live off of just helping people. Mm-hmm. He needs personal... And, and he cannot live off of just anonymity. He's 15. He needs personal interactions, right? He needs to know people. He needs to have friends. He needs to have girlfriends. He needs to have family. And how do you do all that while juggling um, the responsibilities of being a uh, superhero? And not only that, 
the really cool thinly veiled idea that because he's named Spider-Man, everyone thinks that this boy mm-hmm. is a man. Right. Because he's masked. So who would know? Like this, this identity thing and how often do young readers or me and myself right we all always think we're older than right yeah and we should be given more responsibility and then when those that responsibility gets put on the lap of peter parker he almost doesn't know what to do with it until he just almost listens. immediately squanders it yeah until and, he and a, a, like attempts to give it up at several moments right um that's something that happens in uh spider-man 50 with that spider-man no more um mm-hmm. comic that comic arc that you know they even played that up in spider-man 2 Yes. Where he throws away his costume. They, the, the, that one cover is one of the most copied things I have ever seen. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I've, seen, I've seen versions of it with, like, CM Punk walking off and leaving the white <laughs> baseball shirt in the, in the trash can. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Captain America leaving his suit in the trash can walking off. So, so many different uh, the LeBron James even his Cleveland jersey in that trash right, can right. so I, I, many different mock-ups of that of that one shot I'd have to do some research I'm a little bit of a uh, newbie when it comes to this but I think it's one of the first times a superhero is just all like I, I don't want to do this anymore like this yeah. is what, I, what I'm doing is not making a dent and it's actually having negative effects on my personal life mm-hmm. and I can't I can't manage both, which again is very human. It's very, um, it, it makes the character vulnerable. Oftentimes we feel like we're overwhelmed and we just need to start cutting things off. And uh, Peter was often tormented by the idea that he was the only one who knew he was Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. You know, and when you're young like that, when you're dealing with actual real life problems, you want to be able to express those things with friends and family and stuff. And so it made Peter very vulnerable and very tortured especially in a moment where he feels like he needs to throw out his whole second identity yeah it's 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 incredibly uh it's an incredibly relatable thing especially if you are like a teenager who thinks that nobody really understands you yeah you know like like you're, you're tormented by this fact that you can't express your grief over a particular thing you're keeping in or you're tormented by the fact that like you know like you 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 feel like maybe you have this alternate lifestyle that you can't express fully because people will shun you for it. Yeah. And you, you even though to, you don't want to hurt nobody, even though you don't want, and you'd love you know. to just kind of throw it all away and not have to worry about it, but you can't. It's yours. Because and it's you. It's yours. There's and no it's you. getting away from it. Um, and that's one of the one of those things that Stanley, I guess you could say, Stan and Dicko and all those guys introduced was that DC was sort of giving you these like almost godly like characters who didn't who weren't bogged down by these life problems what was almost also very weird is that not only were they not bogged down by life problems but the life problems of other people were almost made in light yeah like look at all those superman jimmy olsen things (laughs) right like jimmy olsen was a joke yeah. And all Jimmy Olsen was was a regular human who was friends with Superman and worked nine to five at the Daily Planet. Yeah. But one one minute he's, he's marrying a chimp and now he's a giant lizard. All because you're not you're not fantastical, Jimmy. We got to make you fantastical. Yeah. Where in uh, we have to make your life interesting because where, where Stan you humans are boring. Stan and Jack Kirby came from this place of the unassuming could be the hero. Mm-hmm. That fifteen year old nerd could be the hero that uh guy in the wheelchair you just see rolling yeah. down the street he could be the hero that nerdy scientist who seems meek and timid 
probably has a side of him that you know can really get out of control. And so he made the unassuming um, spectacular, amazing, incredible, fantastic. Yeah. Um, and I think that 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 it sounds incredibly cheesy and cliche, but that makes us a better society. Absolutely. The idea that we could identify that there is no archetype for the hero and everybody else is just pushed to the side. Yeah, like, it, it's a very beautiful way to assume, the, to present the idea that, like, like, no, everyone, no matter what, can contribute Yes. to, you know, to the good of everything. Um, did, did Marvel have a wheelchair character? Uh, Professor Xavier. Ah, yes, 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 that's right. Yeah, that's all, all the way in nineteen sixty. I guess it's hard for me to think of Xavier as disabled when he's probably the most powerful character. But, but isn't that isn't that's a, that's a testament to the characterization, right? True. Yes. Because the man cannot walk upstairs, <laughs> right? But but, but he'll he, find a way off those stairs. Exactly, and I think that that's so cool. Is that this idea that you don't? Because when I thought when people. you said wheelchair, the first thing I thought of was Batgirl. Yeah. You know, as Oracle, right? But, but like, look at look at how much of a of a of a deal they made about that. Yes, you know. And then the second a thing that wasn't even supposed to be canonical. And then the, the second that they could take it away, she's back on her two feet again. So whereas they're constantly re-injuring <laughs> a, a Professor X so that he can't walk, so they they can have have that disability, um, which I think is amazing. And you know, we have. With, with the teams of both the X-Men and the Avengers, we also have the tale of um, no one man could do everything on his own. Mm-hmm. Which, there have been superhero teams before, Justice Society, Justice League. Right. Um, but the idea that these are all people that, I feel like Justice Society and Justice League were written in a way that everybody was all kind of on the same page already. Like, they were all... Uh, like we're all gods here. Let's yeah. just let's just take out this star monster thing. Whereas Avengers, you have a civil like right there in the beginning, issue one, uh, you know, with Iron Man, Ant Man, Wasp, and uh, Hulk. I feel like I'm missing somebody. Mm-hmm. Iron Man, Ant Man, Wasp, Hulk, and Thor. Yeah. You have a sibling rivalry right there off the bat because Loki's the first villain. Right. It's not a nameless, faceless alien thing. It's a fa- it's a family member. It's 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 somebody that the hero knows and doesn't necessarily want to kill, may want to stop but doesn't want to kill. And so they're already creating um complex uh ideas of moral and identity just in those books like of the Avengers mm-hmm. and like the X-Men where we're given a villain in the X-Men that many people feel if is is not if not the number 1 comic book villain of all time is number 2, right. which is Magneto. And the idea that he may not be a hundred percent wrong in his in his views, and that his views are informed by actual human history, yes. and human history, and human atrocities that him himself has faced. And when somebody's done that, how do you talk them down from being militant right. when they actually have human experience on their side to say no? People, when faced with something different you know, act violently. How do you then still talk them down from that? And we were dealing with that with race relations. Mm-hmm. If you've had race, if you've had things happen to you uh, because, solely because of your race, negative things happen to you solely because of your race, how do you not build an animosity towards your, um, towards the people who try to harm you, the people who try to judge you? How do you not try to build your own brotherhood right yeah and try to fight back against these people and what is the right thing to do because the x-men while doing what's right and defending earth and humans 
still constantly being hated and and disparaged um and that that idea that that's not as cut and dry as let's say baby from space saves earth <laughs> you, know, you know um you watched x-men the animated series as a child i imagine yes i did as you grew older and as you probably had a deeper understanding of the magneto character did rewatching the show really super inform you of it much better? I think I think that there's almost nothing as informative than the first scene in X Men. That first X Men scene where he's being pulled away from his parents mm-hmm. in the Holocaust, like in the in um, Auschwitz. Oh, oh, the oh, the first scene of the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah first yeah. scene of the movie X Men, where yes. he's getting pulled apart from his. We're shown a very human villain here. And yeah, he's going so, to it's become... someone that you know is the villain, but at this very moment, like it is highly sympathetic, and like you know, you you feel bad for this person because and, terrible people are just tearing this child from his family. And also the idea that this is not a situation where you're like, oh wow, if this if this happened, this would be terrible. It's this happened, mm-hmm. and it happened to a lot of people. It just so happens to have happened to the villain of our story. Um, and, and one of the most powerful mutants in the world, sadly. And so they create this weird dichotomy where the... the I mean, I wouldn't call Charles the hero of the X-Men story. I think that's more on, on his men and women. Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea that you would create a, a level of relationship between the hero and the villain where they can have peaceful conversations, where they could just debate on you know the uh, righteousness of what they're doing... My favorite thing in in every in, in the movies and in the comic books and in the cartoons and all of them has been the idea that Xavier and Magneto are always civil. Yeah. And there is always this thing that ties them together that like we will constantly bicker and fight against each other on different sides, but alone in this room there is still something um between us that like we still kind of love each other as, fr- as you know, the friends we are. Yeah. Yeah. And it just sucks that we're both really ideologi- ide- ideologically opposed on this big issue. And the thing is, one thing that they're not opposed on is that they don't want mutants to be treated terribly. Right. Uh, Magnus, you know, uh, uh, Magneto, he's able to identify with Charles because Charles is a mutant as well. Mm-hmm. And that's almost where the art, where the anger comes in. Because, like I said, again, when you use the relations to, um, you know, the race and, and civil rights movements going on here in America, it's the idea that we're the same color. Why don't you see what they're doing to our people? Mm-hmm. And then Charles would flip that around and like, I do see what they're doing to our people. And they're doing it to all of our people, you and me alike. And we can't go to their depths mm-hmm. because of it. And it's, it's the idea of vengeance. And it's the idea of, you know... Um, how do you educate the masses when they already feel like they understand and think they can write off yeah. an entire race or mutants or you know any of these people? We deal with it later in the with the Inhumans, you know this idea of like ah oh, you, you're one of those freaks and stuff like that and it's right. like well um, again the unassuming is going to be what helps us here in the world because we need to stop discrediting actual human beings regardless of where they come from how they mm-hmm. look. Um, whether they're differently abled, whether they're a different race, every human has the ability to enact good and, and make this world a better place. And we need to stop 
assuming that they all look one way. A big part of Sam's mission statement, pretty much in, in everything, it's a very we are Marvel um, uh, ethos. Yeah, and when you consider this is a medium that unlike movies and television, it's very personal, mm-hmm. I feel like. Um, you bring it home. Yeah. You you cut off or on the lights, depending on... on well, I have now have a digital reader, so I cut off the lights. Right. Put some music on. It's a very personal thing for me. Mm-hmm. I pace the level of the story, right? The, the, the pages turn as quickly as I want them to turn. If I right. want to sit and just look at a panel for half an hour, that's what I'm going to do. It's a very personal experience, and you you come up with your own ideas and your own opinions and your own um, problems sometimes, things that you straight up don't like. Mm-hmm. But it's all very personal yeah. because it's all going on in your head. They, they are helping you with dialogue and, and images, mm-hmm. but you're connecting whatever's not written in there, you're connecting that all in your head. And in, in, in your own way, even though there's just still pictures, like in your brain, these things are moving. Exactly. With the help of, of brilliant artists and, mm-hmm. and you know brilliant um writers you're able to create these mind movies the same way like you would with Moby Dick or Tom Sawyer and stuff um but the reason why I keep bringing up the whole private nature of comic book reading is because Stan brought that out yeah he's like no we all do it like it's not something that you just do by yourself Mm -hmm. yeah you do it privately but we do it privately collectively right and we could all continue to do it privately but every so often Come to my soapbox and talk to me about it. Mm-hmm. I make these things. You don't have to. It don't have to be a thing where I'm a nameless, faceless creator. Let's talk about what right. you read. Those things that are going through your head, those those problems you you have, or the things that you really like, or the ideas that sprung out. Let's talk about them. And that made things so much more accessible, and uh, became the connective tissue that became, um, you know, was it the the marvelous Marvel Army, like the like yeah. The, make, <laughs> Make mine Marvel, like all yeah. that stuff there. But see, I'll, I'll say to that, it opened the door to two of the biggest cultural bridges in comic books. One being uh, Wizard Magazine. Oh, you're right. Because now they had an outlet. Like, I didn't even read Wizard Magazine back in the day. I, had there. That, yeah. I knew people that did, and I'd seen it. I, I don't need, I'd only thought, like, they talked about toys occasionally. I'd see Spawn on the cover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like... It, Wizard Magazine came out of it, and it became a big, uh, how do you say, marketing tool for the comic book industry, not only for the big two, but for everyone else. Right. To not only market their books, but to market their creators and market their uh, whatever form of merchandising that they could help build and their get, brands. And get straight to the reader. Right. Get straight to the audience that would want this stuff. It also took, and, and, and for a lot of people, this hurt and helped them. It took comic books out of your your local shop and like in my experience when I first saw comic books even though even though I wasn't reading them mm-hmm. like your local bodega by the train station oh right yeah or the um, where it's just on pharmacy. a pharmacy sp- where it's just on a spin down on the, for you on the pick- rack yeah, yeah the pharmacy is just sitting on the rack I remember that for you to just grab and you know throw a couple of quarters at <laughs> on, on, on the desk for you know to get your books to now people opening up a comic book shop and like this is comic shop a comic shop culture I completely missed where people not only went into a shop fully based on comic books and comic book culture but people stayed in there 
yeah. for hours and met other like-minded people. Like, yes, stranger, please talk to me about Spider-Man for the next three hours. Right. Let us exchange our stories and our our experiences and, and whether or not, you know, he should be with Gwen Stacy or Mary Jane. Right. And, you know, and, like, did you did you feel the same way? And the idea that um, this fandom isn't, you know, isn't, I, I want to say not unique. because Debate like with that's... me whether or not the Mobius Silver Surfer or the Kirby Silver Surfer is the real Silver Surfer and why the other one is Kirby. <laughs> let's let, let, let's talk about that a little Love bit. That let's talk scene. about that a little bit. Um, uh, Stan Lee uh, creates. There, there were so many prolific characters to come through, not only Marvel, but because it was his baby, um, Fantastic Four. Yes. Between Fantastic Four and Spider Man, so many of the characters that we know and, and are near and dear to our hearts came from those books. Mm -hmm. um, I think of characters like Black Panther. Mm -hmm. You know, he popped up in Fantastic Four first. Yes. Galactus and Silver Surfer, and um, this idea that Stan wanted to create this otherworldly being that would be like this, um, again, complex and flawed, like, doesn't want to murder people, but needs to murder people to eat. Yes. And just to eat to live. So, uh... This is, this is how I was made. I must eat planets. This, you is, see what I, this is what I do. Don't you eat chicken? Like, <laughs> do the chickens go, oh no, the heralding of the dawn has come. He's, com <laughs> he's coming to take us all. Uh, I had a 20-piece uh, 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 chicken nugget yesterday, so mm -mm -mm. I got chicken on the brain. Vegans but, are the heroes, apparently. You know? Um, but it was supposedly Jack Kirby that created the Silver Surfer, just somebody that he thought it would be a cool idea would go first. and I'm this massive Catholic villain. Why am I doing work? You, do a thing for me. Go find us. Well, it's, it's, Galactus is not going to go around... Uh, grabbing the melons and seeing sure. which melons are ripe, right? right. Got, that's not his job. He just wants to eat. So Plus, you'd see him coming. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. And you don't want Galactus grabbing your melons. So no, you know, he, he, The guy's huge. No, you don't. Um, so he creates this character called the Silver Surfer, and Stan just falls in love with it. And he creates... And, and I know this is a, is a bad comparison, but I can only compare from what I know and what I've seen. Mm -hmm. A very complex, um, almost Dr. Manhattan-esque existential uh, uh, creature who is given the power cosmic, which is so powerful that it makes him almost alien from everybody else. Yes. And uh, gives him a visage that looks different than everybody. I mean, guy is basically naked and, yeah. and, and silver. But with that, Stan creates uh, you know, uh, Silver Surfer Parable. A story that delves a lot into like Christianity, uh, Christian themes and um, um, uh, Judaism themes, mm -hmm. some of the oldest religions ever, and how they inform um, his characters and how somebody like a Silver Surfer, whose planet was also, uh, I believe, was going to be attacked by Galactus. Yes. Where he's like, no, 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 I, I, I volunteer as tribute. And they do that whole whistle thing and they put their fingers in the air. <laughs> and then I'm getting movies mixed up. But, uh, yes, then really gravitated to that but you brought something up morbius from uh dc who's <laughs> a metron from dc right who sits in the morbius chair uh well um i i believe it was a a manner of like uh people who who created a vote on silver surfer or whether or not like yeah which one was the right one right right but you have um once kirby goes to dc there's a lot of characters that start to be like Huh? <laughs> yeah. Huh. Like, wait. I'm. I'm not. You're. You're. I think you're more educated on that than I am. But yeah. Yeah. Um. Metron 
if I'm not mistaken, my boy Metron. Well, you, uh, have you seen Metron before? Um, that that that's the Mobius chair you talked about, right? Yeah. That, yeah, I'm I'm familiar with it because of uh, that Dark Side War mess. Yeah, there was a lot going on there. Uh, Guess who created? Guess who created Metron? Uh, uh, was it Jack Kirby? It was Jack Kirby. Ah. And Jack Kirby, so Metron, uh, you know, he possesses the powers of a god, and he sits on a chair, and he rather be a passive observer. Right. Sound familiar? Yes, uh, it does. Uh, Silver Surfer was very much passive. He did not want to do what he was doing, but he was working for Galactus, and so uh, that gave him the pro- proactivity that you know he needs. But there was also a lot of this whole um, like, you need to remove Morbius from his chair slash you need to remove um, I mean, Metron from his chair. Ooh, sorry. Hmm. Slash, you need to remove uh, Silver Surfer from his board, right? Kind of stuff. But, uh, yeah, Stan really attached himself to that character. And Silver Surfer is one of the first characters to get a video game. He was, like, on the Atari or something I like that. I did see that, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, wait, what? Okay, like, of all the properties, this is the one that you really wanted back? But Stan really believed in that property. Also, really, really, really believes in Spider-Man. Has refused to turn down a Spider-Man cameo. <laughs> my, my man loves, loves Spider-Man. Even in a video game. From some of those earlier uh, creations. Oh, I was to say, like, uh, Stan, I, I found Stan's place with Silver Surfer interesting in the sense that, like, he he saw a way to, how do you say? So, if you're familiar with Family Guy, I, I imagine you are. Yes. Um, Seth MacFarlane says he gets to really speak through the character Brian. Okay. The dog. Um... For Stan Lee, that was the Silver Surfer. He got to speak to his thoughts on the greater world in general through this character who was on the outside of it looking in. Right. And that makes just sense. Like, like, the Silver Surfer was that guy where it's just like, you guys have all these beautiful things. You know, you have a, you have a race of people that need water to survive and your planet is 75% of it. Yeah. <laughs> You yeah. know what? Like, what is it you guys are fighting over? Uh, this, this, these petty things like power and money and you know, uh, bigotry. And and you know that power cosmic is something that Stan literally had yeah. being the creator at com- at uh, at Marvel Comics. So it's this idea that when you are when you've become that level of either successful or prolific. And you do look back or down mm-hmm. or, you know, at your creations, what would you say? What would you tell them? What, how would you, if you could change the world, how would you uh, push it? Where would you push right. it to? And so the Silver Surfer is that, like, I don't, I don't want to change the world, but these people should know that the world could be better. Yeah. So then you're, same Spider-Man situation, right? Like, I don't want to do this, but if I don't do this, then it won't happen. I have this great power. I have the responsibility to use this great power because if I don't, then uh, when it doesn't happen, I can't be upset. I can't right. say, like, you know, so Silver Surfer very much and has fought Galactus on, on occasion because of how he feels about the individual life and, and, and all that there. Um, I don't know if this is a coincidence, but the very first Comic-Con, you talk about things that... Um, you know, enter the society and the zeitgeist. Mm-hmm. Very first Comic Con takes place in New York, and in 1964, the yeah. same year that the Avengers uh, uh, came together and were created by Stanley and Jack oh, Kirby. Okay. So, 
and it also in New York. You understand? Like that's yeah. very like it, it is the it is the uh, epicenter of this whole thing. This is where you drum up this excitement, this fandom. This is this is a club. Uh, you need to get in on it. Um, did you know about the uh, the no prize? Hmm? Uh, the uh, no prize, Stanley's no prize. No. So I was reading about this in um, one of the Fantastic Four books because I had read the um, when Black Panther shows up. Okay. And so it's this idea that you could write Stanley right as you write the editor, letters to the editor, whatever, right. and point out inaccuracies and problems in the comic. Hmm. When you did, Stan will send you a letter that has no prize in it. Like an envelope that has absolutely no prize in it, and he called it Stanley's No Prize. But because of its, uh, it's so unique and also authentic. Like this is coming from the editor. People started to keep these things. Oh you know? my god! Like, oh, like like this is I got like they used to want one. Like hey, uh, you know, uh, the Marvel No Prize. It's a fake award uh, given out to oh Marvel. Oh my readers. god, that's incredible. Yeah, and he would. That is uh, the showiest thing ever. Yeah, uh, they said that they started with... I award you no points. <laughs> yeah, because I think back in the day, people used to legit get, get like points or get stuff. Right. If they found a continuity error and stuff like that, they would receive like cash or free comics like as a way to not deter them from reading it anymore. Mm. But Marvel was all like, you're, st- you're staying on this. What are you doing? Like, here's your, here's your prize. Here's your no prize. I'm going to see if I can pull up... Stan even later write a whole book, a whole book about uh, <laughs> Peter Parker's continuity errors. Right, right. I'm going to see if I can get a picture, if anyone has any of these, uh, Stan Lee. Because I, I want something I would want. Mm-hmm. Now, as I sit before you, you, sir, are wearing oh. a t-shirt of the Invincible Iron Man. This is true. Have you another heard... F- another flawed, another flawed... Yes. Character, a character born... Highly flawed. Flawed to degrees that they try not to talk about too much anymore. You know, this is a character born as an industrialist, and this is something that Stan wanted to tackle. Like, can somebody who is from an industry that people may not see as building humanity still believe in humanity, still believe in the future, and still believe in the individual? So Uh, it goes a little deeper than that. Oh, wow. In the sense that, like, the timing was very particular and why he came up with it. Okay. This was coming out, I think, of the Vietnam War or maybe even the Cold War. And, like, the fact that we had a lot of these problems that were part of the war industry and the war economy. Okay. So, while at this point, like, people were really down on people like that. Like, if you were someone who was, like, a weapons manufacturer or whatever. So, people were disgusted by the fact that war had become a business. Yes. And anyone who profited off that sort of thing. And like, because it seems like an eventuality sometimes war or necessity, not necessity, but something that that, that, uh, futile. But when, but when you're trumpeting, (laughs) you know, like, well, if you're gonna go to war, go to war with Stark, you know, like then then you're almost seen as villainous, like you're 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 are preying on the on the humanity. So like now it became a challenge. Can I create a character who very much profited off the war economy and and was a big cog in that machine a big cog in that machine as a weapons developer right. and make him likable and popular right and you got Tony Stark yeah and uh, you know a character whose alcohol- alcoholism has been documented both mm-hmm. in film and in uh, comics definitely flawed uh, and goes through his own you know trials and tribulations but uh, welcome member of the Avengers and, and, and now like because of the power of the movie industry went from like an almost B-level, you know, 
Marvel character to like the centerpiece of an entire generation for people. And now that we talk about it, that's exactly what we were talking about earlier, right? This idea yeah. that the unassuming. Mm-hmm. Like, you think that Iron Man isn't going to be cool, but you don't know Iron Man enough. Right. And that that's Marvel's weird, cool, clicky... Mm-hmm. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, you, you want to be in this club. Like, yeah. you, you're not getting it. Yeah, our distinguished competition across the, you know, across the halls, um, DC... Yeah. It's killing it with comics, you may think, but they are all basically the same thing. Yeah. Uh, you like want you, thi- you you think Captain America is just this flag toting Boy Scout, but like this guy's got some issues. Let's talk a little bit about that. Joe Simon mm. and Jack Kirby create Captain America. Yes. In the nineteen forties for Timely Comics, mm-hmm. but Stan Lee Punching breaks him Hitler. out of ice. Punching <laughs> Hitler. Punching Hitler. That's what if it. anyone ever wants to tell me that comic books never get political. Oh, I hate that. Captain I, America punched Hitler. I hate that. I hate that whole thing. Like, can they just be comics and not talk about social? Uh, they were social never just comics. They were always talking about social things. You're just not paying attention. Um, but Magneto is the biggest social justice warrior in comic book history. But legitimately, Stan uh, takes Cap off ice. Yeah. What a what a move! I, I there there are fewer character rebirths as as um, epic mm-hmm. as that. He could have left that timely comics character right there, he you know, have. right where he went. And I think um, the last story of him, he just like disappeared. And and, like, and and to 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 an interesting credit of it, like not only do they get away with bringing back Captain America from. You know, from from uh, what the forties? Yeah, like bringing back Captain America from the forties and bringing him into the present day, whatever it is on the shading time on the scaling timeline. Yeah. Then years later, getting away with bringing back Bucky. Yeah, yeah. Um, so thunderous said, applause. Yeah, somebody that they said when you consider that the that the character in IP could have been dead, they were not only able to resurrect him, but even the sidekick into his own whole. Uh, story mm-hmm. there too, and guess what? So the, it's very interesting that you know that you you put it that way, but you have Captain America, you take him off ice, and you bring him into the the current era, which is the '60s, right? Mm-hmm. You got lots of right stuff happening mm-hmm. in the '60s. What do you do with a guy uh, born in the '40s, where the '40s looked very particular? People mm-hmm. on TV and magazines and uh, you know in movies looked very one way. How do you take that man born in that? And modernize him up um, in the 60s. And how does he uh, rub up against some of the social changes that have happened? And they just, they they went kind of shorthand and they gave him Falcon. Yeah. And Falcon is not a sidekick. He's a partner. Right. Uh, Captain America sees the African-American superhero Falcon as an equal. Mm-hmm. And that was all anyone needed. That was it. That was a shorthand. Yeah. No one, there was never any like... Wait a minute, Cap kind of should have been, or whatever. No, like no, nah, this dude's fighting the same fight I am. And We're we, together, and people, people are would be bringing their own cynicism to uh, two characters like Cap mm-hmm. and saying things like that, like oh yeah, well he would have been racist in the sixties. You know, they're bringing their own cynicism to it. Whereas Stan and Marvel always went high, yeah, and said you're not being idealistic enough. Right, that guy exists. The guy that that is can 
be, uh, you know, hand in hand with any race and believes that everyone is equal. And just because mm-hmm. you haven't met him doesn't mean he doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Where um, the majority of the world was speaking from a place of, well, I've seen and I've seen. Well, Marvel's like, well, you haven't seen this. Yeah. And I, I thought that that was pretty cool. For it's like, like that everyone character. in the 40s was racist. It's like, not that guy. Um, I was talking to my roommate about this yesterday. You know, Stan creates Black Panther. Yeah. And Black Panther, you know, no offense to anyone, could have just been a a, a spear wielding guy from Africa. Yeah. You understand? In in jungle, in jungle, jungle grass. Yeah, you know. jungle. But this thing was called and jungle barefoot. something. Was this thing called like jungle fevers? Like that was that his the comic that he started off in. I don't remember. It was like called Jungle Adventures. Like it wasn't very, uh, you know, fancy. But right, you get this. You get this regal warrior king, uh, T'Challa comes from Wakanda. Wakanda is incredibly um, technologically advanced. So, you you know, like, even back then, even with small side characters from the Fantastic mm-hmm. Four who have become billion-dollar IPs, it starts with Stan and, and Marvel and right. the bullpen saying, oh, this could be a, a hero, too. And I, that guy could be a hero, too. And, and that I race strongly, could be a hero, too. I strongly believe that right now, at this very point, that um, even though we've got one more big character coming down the pike in Captain Marvel... Like Black Panther could be the key to the future of that whole uh that whole business. Yeah. Like of their um their movie industry when they where we have to like in the professional wrestling sense where they have to create new stars in order to keep running that whole system. Yeah. Like Black Panther right now is their key to their next um era of that whole Marvel Cinematic Universe. Right. And it's also this idea that while Black Panther did gain a lot of success in the movie industry, it necessarily it ne- never necessarily had like a stellar million dollar run. No, not at all. Um, but the character was always kept afloat and interesting, which then raises your eyebrow and goes, "How many other Marvel characters are out there that I have not given a chance to?" Right. Which then allows them to open up the book and start introducing these characters little by little, saying, "Again, you think you know them, you don't. Mm-hmm. You need to be in Marvel to get them." To an even lesser extent, like who who heard of Killmonger before the film? Right. Right. And and and, and now there's people, several people with Killmonger was right. Yeah, like they get the haircut, they cosplay as a guy, and he he's become he he's added to the the, the culture of of our society. Yeah, and so have these movies. They're prob- if they haven't already, they're probably looking for a way. Like, how do we write Killmonger back into the books? We need to put him back into the books. We need to do- I'm kind of sad to think that Stan wasn't able to see a good Fantastic Four movie before he passed. Um, to the, I can understand. I that. think 2005 he was fine with, and that was that's that's as right like. Cheesy. It, it, I mean, hey, the last one believers. certainly made those movies a lot better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Stan started the catchphrases, True Believers, yes. Excelsior, yes. Enough Said. Um, uh, he, like you said, he sat there and he, we, we spoke about this. It's so funny because we spoke about this in the Superman episode that we just did, mm-hmm. which is this idea that if you want to humanize, humanize somebody, they have to have the individual interaction. Yes. And Stan was all about that individual interaction, the, talking to the individual reader, to the individual um, person they're reading. Because, again, with this being such a personal uh, way to ingest this media, right? you can't just say readers. Because he could be talking to me, he couldn't be talking to me. Right. You know? But now he's talking to the Marvel readers. Okay, so that's me. Because right. I... And then sometimes you get addressed very specifically. Yeah. And um, this idea that Marvel Marvel readers are not bigots and Marvel readers are not racist. Right. And if you're going to read <laughs> Marvel comics, you can't have those those things. He's almost 
bringing a level of accountability to the fandom yeah. as well. Which so is like, something if you want to, if you want to be a complete hater like some people are now and call it SJW Marvel, it's like they've always been that way, dog. Yeah. Um, an interesting thing for the way they write comic books, and I'll, I'll come right back to Stan. Uh, is that as I look at this lovely cup full of ah, several Marvel characters, the branding, bro. Yes, <laughs> branding is real. Um, where guys like, again, the real human factor that Stan would put into his books, guys like Superman. Superman didn't really have a contemporary. He had, he had, he made some f- friends, but like the friends he made were kind of made of Clark as Clark Kent. Yeah. Like Jimmy Olsen is called Superman's friend, but they don't have like a real rapport, and Superman's a busy person. You know, Clark Kent can't keep up a rapport with Jimmy Olsen because he's busy being Superman. And Clark's never being threatened to be fired. No. Or, his, or being evicted. Despite constantly disappearing. Yeah, his car doesn't break down. Nothing happens to him in his regular life Right. That that's ever troublesome. It's the Superman stuff. Batman doesn't really have friends. You, you, you can say that Dick Grayson is his friend, but really he's this kid he, he kind of works with him. Yeah, he's like his, he kind of works with him. He's like a dentured servant. In yeah. A way. You know. Yeah. Um, Alfred? Him and Alfred are kind of friends, right? Kind of. But, they, they, but Alfred, they, but like Bruce is the kid Alfred raised. So like he just... Got Kind of just the tree, yeah. Branching off. Diana yeah. doesn't have too many contemporaries because she's completely disconnected from her Amazonian race, right? So she's very much the outsider. Captain America, he's got like Bucky Barnes is his best friend who came back to life. He made a new best friend in the Falcon. He started dating. Uh, he joined the Avengers, where they all became his friends. They all became friends. The Howling Commandos. He has the Howling Commandos because they came back too. Yeah, you know. He starts dating the niece of his former love and Sharon Carter, which is still weird, by the way, but it's uh, it's a thing that happened. Yeah, he cars. has these contemporaries of his. Bruce Banner's got a few scientific contemporaries, at least, especially in Tony Stark when he's not hulking out and going crazy. Yeah. Tony Stark's got Rhodey. He's got Pepper. He's got uh, Happy Hogan when he was alive. Everyone. A lot of these characters have these connections that are family for them, in a sense. Yeah, which is what I was saying before. Like, this idea that it's not about the world, it's about your world. Mm -hmm. What is your world? I get that we all live in New York, but Spider-Man's New York is different than Iron Man's New York. Their mornings... To the tonight are completely different. The people that they interact with, the the issues Spider-Man's that they go New through. New York is very different than Luke Cage's New York down yeah. there in Harlem. I I, I, I kind of felt like the closest we got to maybe those being kind of similar was the Spider-Man Homecoming going to get a bacon, egg, and cheese. That's, that's, <laughs> the, that's the thing. I was like, oh, we just needed to stop by Pop's. New York breakfast all the time. Yeah, stop by Pop's Parvish shop to get a fade for Homecoming, and we're good. <laughs> we, we are straight, baby. We're good. Um, but yeah, you know these. Um, Luke Cage's New York is not Doctor Strange's New York up there. In, no, by the Sanctum. No, and they they all hang out like the 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 elation of the idea when it's revealed that um, Cap and Daredevil hang out at the same gym. Right. Like I didn't that, even know that. That's but such that's a interesting. Mun- that's such a mundane detail. It's such right. a like. But it's so cool. Fog Fogwell's gym. Right. Where they constantly I didn't know show, he goes to Fogwell's. That's interesting. Um, um, Cap is boxing in Fogwell's in the, that Avengers thing where he's just destroying punching bags and he's... Uh, oh, that's Fogwell. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, it's always I'm been, going to ignore the fact that it's filmed very differently on uh, the TV de- show, but de- I get definitely. it. I, uh, I, I, I respect it. But I, I, I think it, it's so cool that, you know, like... The whole Jerry Hogarth is this person's lawyer who then works for Heroes for Hire. And, right. And um, 
I think that that's cool. Um, um what's her name? Claire. Oh, the night nurse. Yeah, right? Claire, Claire is basically like Netflix Nick Fury. Right, and the, <laughs> and the idea that these people would need a person of that um, expertise mm-hmm. to patch them back up. These are things that people weren't thinking about back then. Damage control. Right. Right. The idea that they would be a, a whole subset of the government that is, uh, you know, tailored to like like superhuman insurance. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like all of that is and heroes for again heroes for hire. Such a revolutionary thought. Like, mm-hmm. oh, well, I'll do it, <laughs> but you gotta pay me. Right. That that that's something bro- born from real life yeah, rent. issues. Yes, from real life issues. Um, Captain America, because he's out of time, he don't really deal with rent and stuff like that. He's more in the Superman. Like, I'm a, more of a concept than I am right. an actual character. But everybody else has those problems. They're constantly being threatened to being fired. Even Tony is getting threatened to take getting kicked off his own uh, company now every now and then because there's the, the, a line. They the have stock, to tell. the stock fell at, at Stark Industries, and he almost lost the company. Yeah, and at one point. Uh, I'm gonna rant a little bit here because I was happy with it. At one point, like, like Peter Parker had Parker Industries and I it was that. bigger than Stark Industries, yeah. and like that was kind of cool. And then they were just like, "No, we've got to put, we've got to make Peter back to the way he was because characters don't get to grow." I absolutely just... loved this. Is this is my little side rant? Uh, I absolutely loved that one of the first things the e- e- evil, vindictive. Uh, Dr. Otto Octavius does when he possesses Spider-Man's body is to go get him an additional degree. <laughs> just just because. Just because he knows, he knows science so well, he's going to stroll into a college, ace everything, and now you're Dr. Parker. Okay, you happy? Yeah. Like, I'm I Dr. Know. Parker now. Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm going to completely start a new business and run it up to be bigger than uh, Stark Industries. That's it. I'm younger. I'm, I'm, going, I'm, to fall in, I'm going to fall in love with this nice little short woman. <laughs> yeah, so Dum Dum Duggan, Nick Fury. I've got to get around to actually reading Superior Spider Man. Really, really good. I really, really dig it. Um, and and is he uh, su- like Superior he, Octopus now? Yes, or? he is. I uh, he also falls in love with a vertically challenged person. This, yes, what I said. Yeah, which falls is also, in love yeah, with yeah, a yeah, yeah, yeah. small woman. Yeah, so it's with, again with the Marvel inclusion. You yes. know? Again with this idea that um, this normal sized person can like love like they they're just people. And they, and there's nothing, and there there will be moments where somebody else will comment on it, and then Otto will flip out. Like, are you kidding me? This is just a person to me, which is, man, like that's. I and I hate to sound like a broken record, but that's the world I want to envision. Right. That I spoke about in the last episode. This idea that not everybody's going to. People are going to see people with disabilities and stuff, and, and they might have their own head cannon, or they might say things in their own head, but not everyone is going to be these vile creatures that are going to be like, look at that, and yeah. you know, you're know you different, and, and all this other kind of stuff. I want to believe in the betterment of Marvel, and because Stan Lee created this universe, it could be that better. It could be better. Yeah. And everybody who didn't, who was not um, thinking of all humans as the same, were, again, shown in a villainous light. Mm-hmm. Doctor Doom creates an entire country, and... And, like, runs them well. Yeah. At one point, they take him out of his dictatorship. And everyone's like, why did you do that for it? Like, we all were all fed. It's we're all like clothed. It's like he's kind of a dick, but, like, he's good to those people. Complexities. You know, it's not just mustache twirling. I mean, the guy's named Dr. Doom. It doesn't get more mustache twirling than that, right? His name is Doom. My name is Doom. I will find him. <laughs> it, uh, it, it gets... Uh, it gets 
It gets crazy and it gets wonky and a lot of this stuff shouldn't stick but because they tied it to the human nature. The very one flaw of, my, of human nature, I think it works. The reason why one of my favorite um, unsung, how do you say, like arcs is the loose nuke arc for Captain America. Okay. Because like, you take Nuke and like him and Cap are not that much different, except Nuke took to what happened after the war so much worse than he did. Yes. And like, there's that that there's that uh cracked reflection, you know, like I could have been this guy. And, and think of and also there's also like this really thinly veiled, cool kind of um look on war itself where. In Captain America's age, war was deemed a little bit more... Um, acceptable? Not only acceptable, not... but more heroic. Sure. Like you were making a sacrifice. It was when easier. I, I, I hate to use that word in that sense because it's still war and so whatnot. But yeah. like, what Cap had to do in World War II was easy because it was the Nazis. And it was the... Black cle- and white. It Black was a white. clear, easy to, de- uh, easy to define villain. <laughs> the Nazis were bad. Right. Cool. Go in there, get rid of them, get out. But when you got stuff like Vietnam, a war that we had lost. Yeah. Where or soldiers places we did, Or places we probably just shouldn't have been in. Yeah. Where, um, Vietnam, where soldiers are booed from, uh, when they return. You understand? Where yeah. There's this, where there's this um, anger towards people who thought that they were doing the same thing that the greatest generation did. Right. And so you have people Nuke. People who are inspired by that generation. Right. So Nuke is, you understand, the, the prototypical Captain America, you know, the successor almost. Yeah. But society turned on him mm-hmm. and what happens when you do that what happens when the mission changes and what you view as enemy and friendly change and and how war changes you and captain america never once writes off nuke as a complete monster that can that needs to be killed he tries to work with him with baby hands and it just so happens that nuke just wants to machine gun everybody and everything at all the time he, well he, see that, that was the great thing too like it it he almost gets to him for yeah. one moment right like did, did you did you read it yeah, with uh, with an army of nukes. Uh, not the army of nukes. Okay. Um, uh, right before he loses the serum. Oh no, I, I don't think I read that one. Okay, I I would implore you to to read that arc. Um, it's right before he loses the serum. There's basically like he just came back from Dimension Z. Right. So, I, know, like, I remember that. that. He's real upset about the fact that like this kid he raised in Dimension Z like is lost to him now. Yeah. Um, Sharon ends up in Dimension Z and like, he's just kind of lost to him too for a little bit. So like, he's in a really distressed place and then he finds out about Nuke and like, he has to go in and try to get, and try to take this dude down because Nuke is just being sent to other countries where, uh, Americans had fought in and like, either lost or been driven out and like, it's like uh, he did etch a sketch everything like not etch a sketch <laughs> but like like he's there to win the battle the the battle that that was been over that's yeah. been been gone yeah but just to even the the like, score or whatever like he keep he he has to see he keeps saying he's just like he keeps saying our boys you like you know they they, they did, made they, our boys look bad they did that in uh born again remember uh yes. Uh, uh, Kingpin plays into that by saying, "Yeah, yes, they did. Absolutely, they didn't make our boys look bad. They yes. hate it. You're supposed to be seen as a hero. That's why I loved it when they did it, kind of, sort of, with Dex in Daredevil. They That's did the right. same thing. Like you're a soldier. You're doing what you're being told, and people. And are, now they want to shame you. Yeah, for they're going to shame you for making. You saved me. <laughs> right, and it's that same thing, and. Um, that's why it's not so black and white with some of these people. They are they're the disenfranchised. Right. 
So, like, there's this one moment in it where, like, Cap, in his distress, is about to, like, kind of go too far and lose his stuff, and he's gonna really wreck him. And then he just, he, he starts to talk to him because, like, Nuke reaches him on a level where he was just like, I just wanted to, to you know, how do you say, not get revenge, but, you know, get some closure for our boys because they made us look, because we got made to look bad, and, like, this hurts us. Right. And he's like, okay, for a moment there, Cap realizes he can reach this man soldier to soldier. You know what I mean? They have that in common, yeah. Yeah, and he tries to talk to him about it. He's just like, this isn't what our boys would want. You know, this this isn't what we would want us to look like to reach out to people and whatnot. And there's a moment where he gets he gets Nuke to calm down and he shakes his hand. And at that very moment, um, a freelance reporter that went there to cover Nuke doing the chaos takes a picture of Cap and shaking Nuke shaking hands. hands. Nuke. Yeah, huh. And then it freak and Nuke freaks out. He's just like, like this is a betrayal. You can't. Right, right. This is the king to trap me. It like starts messing himself up again. Yeah. And then that very picture gets used against Captain America because like shaking hands with Nuke with the bad guy destroying all the stuff is Captain America in league with this terrorist of whatnot. And on the other side of that, um, some things that people feel now is the disingenuous nature of people uh, helping vets. Are yeah. you helping vets because you want to help vets, or are you doing that for that picture? Right. You understand, like oh, this this uh, organization or that organization. How much money is actually going right. to the? Are you are you just, um, you know, like letting this guy tell his sob story and rubbing his back and taking and the even, picture? And what? they even hit a they even hit a very much, another interesting note where Falcon is there too, and he goes to chase down the woman who took the photo. Yeah. And, and like she challenges his whole ethos, where it's like. Do you want to say you believe in free press and free media, or do you only believe in it when it works for you? Right, which is something big. Um, so even though he's supposed to secure the photo, he's just like, <sighs> and that, and lets her walk off. And it's gonna be reiterated probably a couple more times on this podcast before it's over. But it's the the big overarching idea of great power, great responsibility, understanding the power that you wield, mm-hmm. not downplaying it. Free press is huge. Yes. We we're now in this ultra woke era of <laughs> of now being able to weed through news and be like, well, they're trying to push us this way, they're trying to push us that way. But there was a time where someone the internet, with an agenda. Yeah, the internet in many ways did what comic books did, right? Where it connected us all, and we could all be like, oh wait, you feel that way too? Yeah. And so before the internet was created, comics had to set the standard of like. If you if you write things, it behooves you to write things to better us. Right. Uh, not not make these like you you see some of these propaganda World War Two comics mm-hmm. where they're fighting these like ghoulish looking Japanese people and yeah. and uh, crazy looking German caricatures. And while I get, or that, even speaks to some of the the World War Two propaganda Disney work. Yeah, yeah, I've seen some of that too. Yeah, it's wild. Um, and I get that that was supposed to drum up nationalism and it's supposed to help us be better. But once that all is gone, right, once the enemy, quote unquote, is not right there in our faces anymore, where do we go as a society? And Stan and Marvel was saying hey, we go back to the individual. We go back to the ones and twos. We go back to the personal relationships that we have with people. We go back to helping people who cannot be helped and defending people who can't be defended. And not because you 
well, one, because you have the responsibility to, but two, because it's just the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Where the X-Men are seemingly helping people who curse them out as they're being helped. Yeah. And, and it's a thankless job, and they look miserable, but we're told... But because they have that dream of the future where, like, we can all just hash this mess out. Right. If, if enough of the good of us stand in front of the rest of us mm-hmm. and set the example, then we can reach a common ground. Which, and that's, which that's is idealistic, but I mean, I don't want to live in a world where that's just thrown out, right? Where right. that idea, oh, no, we're not going to try that. Let's do more wars. Which which does speak to an interesting thing they do do with the arcs of um, two of the biggest characters in the X-Men. I, as an X-Men, the animated series fan, always loved uh, Cyclops. Okay. Um, Gene! Yeah. <laughs> Gene! <laughs> uh, Madam Web! <laughs> <laughs> they do a lot of yelling on those. Shows, they do, man. yeah. So, um, I think, Shocker. I think, as a, I think it it helped me a lot as like a young kid with glasses. I just really related to Cyclops. Uh, so, so like, like my uh, how do you say my optical sort of defect helped me to think that like if I take off these glasses, I can shoot freaking energy beams. Right, right, right. No, yeah. <laughs> and that like I connected to him on that level because we had something that we shared and I could vicariously kind of live through that. Um also the red shades were kind of cool. Yeah. Um and you could be more. Right. I could absolutely be more. Like this handicap is actually something special. Right. Um as time went on two things happened to two very particular characters in the books where it seemed like Magneto got tired of the fighting and found what the fighting did to everything around him and people that he loved and decided to like take a different stand and like kind of became an X-Men and like became quote yeah, unquote, he helped a, lead some, some of them yeah. yeah it's like kind of led the team for a time and became a quote unquote you know one of the good guys right or at least tried to help on that side mm-hmm. Whereas the same exact trauma drove Cyclops completely in the other direction. Yeah. Like having lost his wife several times. Yeah. And, you know, um, learning about, like, his future son and all the bad things that have happened pushed Cyclops to, you know, uh, how do you say, push children into war because they need to be ready for this. Right. It's, it's, it's. They're the, they're both sides of the same coin of mm-hmm. doing the right. What is the right thing, yeah. and how do we do the right thing? The trauma of this war softened Magneto, but at the same time, completely radicalized Cyclops. Right. Where um, and, and that's that's the idea. I do believe that both of these people exist in the world in yes. so many different um, you know, machinations. The one, the guy who thought that he was going in with altruistic ideas and going in to help a situation, whether this is the jaded cop, whether it's the teacher who just stopped giving a damn after a while, they came, when they first got here, they came here to change the game. Yeah. And then too much bullcrap, probably too much bureaucracy, too much mistreatment, too much um, stress. Or just too, too many friends lost. Or too many friends lost. And you start saying, screw it, screw them. I don't, I don't care. Mm-hmm. I'm going to... I need to make sure that I'm okay and that the people to the left and right of me are okay. Everybody else can go to hell. Yeah. And vice versa. You could have started with that mantra of everybody to the right and left of me are the only ones I care about and everybody else can go to hell and then soften up to, well, the world's to the right and left of me. Right. Everybody's to... Are you talking about the right and left of me in this house, on this block, 
in this, and that this and, and that this fight I started got people to the right or left of me healed in the first place. Exactly. So the, both ideas exist, and that's why I think it's very important to have both both of them. Because if you only have the one, if you only ever have that, crime will eventually make everybody so jaded mm-hmm. that they just start seeing human beings as like uh, expendable. That's not a, that's not a great story to tell. Well, while it gets wonky, I prob I think that the X Men is probably one of the most important stories in in the history of Marvel comics or of yeah. anything. No, definitely, and it it sucks so much that uh, we haven't been able to see them used to their full uh, potential. No, I hopefully soon things have with gotten this- so wonky with the with those characters and with the their continuities and their timelines and who's what. Um. I we, we were talking earlier about how personal these um this medium is, and you expressed how you felt about Cyclops. I knew I knew about these characters mostly through their animated avatars on, on Fox and stuff. Um, definitely Spider Man the animated series fan. I was a, a Batman the animated series fan, um, and I, I was I was fans of them. I got them, and they were fine. But as I got older and as I got more cynical, and you know I joined the military and stuff, I find my I found myself more intrigued by um, villains. Right. You know I get. The Killing Joke, and I get Brian Azzarello's, <laughs> and I get Brian Azzarello's Joker, and I start hearing about this Winter Soldier guy who's just come back from the dead, right? And um, you, all, all the biggest, all the biggest stories touted in comics are these dark epics of like uh, complex men who make rash decisions, uh, you know, based on how they feel is right or wrong, and maybe you can argue that all comics are that, but um, I, I much thought I had way more to way more in common with those stories than anything else and then i read civil war Mm. and i read civil war while i was actually at war and i thought i knew everything it was about captain america again right like i said again (laughs) i thought i could write him off he this is a civil war it's there's a there's a mutant registration i mean a superhero registration act Mm. And obviously, Captain America, being Captain America, is going to be on the side of the government. And then Tony Stark, because he's too cool, is going to be like, nah, I'm too cool for this. Yeah. And I'll just keep being too cool. Wait, Cap is not on the side of it because he doesn't feel like it's freedom? Right. So he is defending America, but not what American politics are doing. Right. And that blew the logic of all of these heroes wide open for me right. in a way that I hope that the conversations that we're having here blow it up for the people who are listening because it then it changed everything that I thought about the, that character. He believes so much in what America can be that mm-hmm. it doesn't really necessarily matter to him where America's at at the moment. And if America's wrong, he will tell America that America is wrong because he believes that America can be better. Right. And... I th- I think it, it I think it's a it behooves to impart that also, like Iron Man doesn't side with the government because he completely thinks the government is right in this sense, mm-hmm. but more so more so especially in the movie than maybe in the book, but kind of out of fear. Yeah, because he like it always seems that Iron Man is trying to expound the idea that like you don't understand if we don't toe the line something worse comes yeah and also the idea of the right thing right like where um if if i've been doing all this and i've been doing all this for you the world Mm -hmm. and then you the world tell me that i'm not doing it the best way 
How do Don't I, do I have better? a responsibility yeah, to exactly. sort of answer to that question? Right. How do I do it better? How do I best serve you? How do I? And there you go again. Like Iron Man um, is so cool that to him it's an open and shut case that they're going to do this. Yeah. That they're going to sign because that's what you do. You do what you're told. Right. Which I thought would be the soldier uh, uh, believing that. And so all of that. Then Marvel starts coming out with the Marvel Cinematic Universe just uh, branching out of these characters that Stan created. With the same um, delicate pieces of humanity sprinkled throughout where they do make the wrong decisions a lot of times. Mm -hmm. But the entire time they're hoping desperately that it's the right one. And that to me is more of the definition of hero than anything else. Than being bitten or coming from another planet or having millions of dollars which is not a power. Um, (laughs) It's the idea that no matter uh, whether or not you are 100% doing... Well, you should be doing everything for the right reasons. But the idea that you don't necessarily have to have all of what it takes to get the job done to start the job of trying to make the world a better place. You don't have to have all the powers to be... Peter Parker was a pretty good guy before all this happened, right. before the, the spider bite and all that stuff. And um, through even with the trauma that he experienced, Xavier still you know, tries to be patient and and have his um, just this stoic like pacifism right. um, in him, and I I will always thank Stanley for his ability to see the best in people, because even when he is you know jovial and joking at a comic con or whatever, he is doing it for everybody. Stan Lee, you know, we will get into this in a bit, but Stan Lee's his, his best creation. A lot of people say. That the character that he's created, this like how the Mr. McMahon character mm-hmm. came about for Vince McMahon, that Stan Lee came about for Stan, uh, Stanley Lieber, and that he created somebody that was accessible to us and to let us all know that not only what we were reading was cool, but that it had an effect. Yeah. And that it, 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 it's more than just what you see on the screen, it's what you take away from it. And when you care about it that much, when you put that much love and attention to it, it's going to be successful. It's going to um, reach people, and it's going to change the world. One of the biggest things I thought about when it happened, and then, like, as you saw the outpouring of, like, love and appreciation for the life this man had lived was, we don't have this ever at DC Comics, despite the fact that it's older, and it was the first, and it has characters that are beloved to the, you know, to this very day. Yeah. And, and, and iconic iconography that is... Uh, you know, worldwide and well known. Um, there's that whole thing that you know the Superman crest is as well known, if not more, than the Christian cross. Right. Um, but we don't have this. The, the characters are more ambassadors than any person that we can actually reach out and touch. Yeah, and Marvel, in a lot of ways, at least what you know, since I've been reading, there's also that weird feeling of like. Oh, you might like this character, but this writer may not be it for you. Right. Where DC's like, oh, Superman is Superman. He's yeah. always Superman. Right. It doesn't matter who writes for him. He's going to be Superman. You can, Marvel's more like, well, get to know the creators, the art. And I'm not saying that, um, cre- you know, creators like that, that are known for that now, like the Jim Lees and stuff like that, Brian sure. Bendis, 
That's Mar- those are Marvel. You know, those are Marvel guys. You know, Jim Lee. Is Jim Lee a Marvel guy? Yeah, uh, oh, okay. X Men, X Men issue one. Ah, that, yes, that's right, that's right. Um, Liefeld, you know, um, Rob uh, Liefeld. Well, he's you know he's a different. He's but, known um, now. Todd McFarlane. Yes. You know, um, Todd these, Todd McFarlane Spider Man. These creations, and they, that's what they call it. They call it Todd McFarlane's Spider Man, Alan Moore's Swamp Thing. Like when your right. creator has become so prolific that they're able to put their um their own stamp on this and I felt that that was happening way more at Marvel than anywhere else where the creators were becoming their own characters right and then you'd have these there these... certainly wasn't like Jeff John's Superman right right you hear no. Jeff John's Green Lantern right that's what they say nowadays that's what they'll yes say. they'll say Jeff it's John. not on the book which though. is cool which is cool <laughs> but that's good that's cool though right that he's he's gained his own identity through this character yes um and even though like Jeff John's is the closest you can get to that he's not like a dude who he was a dude who came into the job and was very good at it and, and, and gained a level of notoriety, but he's not um, a DC, how do you say, uh, uh, the person who carpentered the right. structure. In, in many ways, he was probably the fan reading soapboxes, you understand? Yes. And realizing how important that right. personal connection was to your audience and, right. to, and how, how important it was to have your name out there and for people to know and not only know just for general knowledge, but know so they can follow. Right. Oh, I like this writer. I'm going to follow him to his next book, and I'm going to follow him here and there. Stan created identities for these people, and they, and then also incredibly got meta. You want to talk about, like, Deadpool and stuff like that? Yeah. The writers in Marvel were doing that way before Deadpool even was created. She-Hulk. Yeah, you'd see these characters. You see... The, the, like, She-Hulk the, literally walking over one panel line to get to the other one. You understand? They would, <laughs> then letting you know that they knew they knew this how comic books were viewed in society. And so they could often, you know, poke fun or do something tongue-in-cheek, but they'll be damned if anyone, anyone, mm-hmm. talked down their medium. Because um, they were professionals that worked on it. J. Michael Straczynski's Spider-Man, probably one of the most important Spider-Man runs in the history of, of that character and in comic books. Mm-hmm. So big and so important to Marvel and to the real-world aspect that it got... One of the few things that in my teenage years actually got my attention with comic books. There were two things that I heard about. Civil War, because it, cause it got everywhere for me, right? Uh-huh. Because like, there were people who posted the banners of which side of you on constantly. Yeah. And when I first heard that they actually wrote this one issue um, post 9-11 about the oh, event. yeah. Which was the black issue for Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Nothing but black on the cover and the name. And like this event that goes down where heroes and villains come together to try to put the city back apart, back in pieces. Mm-hmm. Like pick up the pieces of New York City and try to put it back together. You know, you've got Magneto lifting steel beams. It's Doctor Doom out there. Kingpin. There's a scene of both of Doctor Doom... And Magneto standing next to each other, like in tears. Yeah, and it's it says there's like a line of like, even the even what we would think is the most evils of this world, shed a tear for the actual evils of the world or something like that. Right. And it's like, damn, you know, it, it's still creating that line. Yeah. That definitive line that people want to people want to skew, the ideas of bad and evil. Like why 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 are people so hell bent on? Saying that it's not as cut and dry, and I get that it may not be, but if you live life by it may not be, you're gonna fall into the gray a lot more than ever into the light. And I sure. feel like you might as well have a semi code, right? 
semi uh Marvel code and um that's expressed through the characters that Stan created. They all had a moral ground. Uh, Even the thing who right who could flip out and look <laughs> at me, I'm a rock monster and no one's trying to fix me. So screw this, I'm just gonna smash through it. Like he he could just be this hulking monster. Mm-hmm. But they humanize him. He dates a blind woman. Yeah. Like you know it's like they go through great lengths to show Just propose to her. Yeah, they go through great lengths to show the humanization. The thing with the yarmulke is the most adorable thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I just like him shaking his fist at the Yangtze Street Gang always. <laughs> you damn Yangtze Street Gang! <laughs> that um, was legit. Like, and they always do that. They always have these callbacks in their comics. Yes. And I, I love... It, kinda, it, it rewards you for sticking around and, and paying attention. And building the neighborhood. You know who, who uh, the bu- butcher is and who the barber is and who the mailman for the Fantastic Four is. Willie Lumpkin, who uh, Stan <laughs> got to play in um, the Fantastic Four. I want to say the Silver Surfer film, but if not, the first one. No, right. it, is, it is the first one. The first one, Because okay. the Silver Surfer film, his cameo is that he's not on the list. To go to the All oh, right, he can't get into the wedding. <laughs> He's like, are you sure I'm Stan Lee? <laughs> Which they did in the book. Very, very cool. Very, very cool. Uh, to sort of uh, knock this down, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll just throw a random question out for you there. Okay. What are you reading these days? Marvel? Sure, anything. You know what I want to read? I want to read Tom King's Vision. I've heard really good things about that. I just finished his Mr. Miracle, so I kind of want to get into Tom King's vision. But I also want to get into, uh, I was, we were having this conversation off air a little bit. I want to read Stan Lee's Justice League. Because I want to see what he thought was wrong with the immortal characters of the Justice League. Or not necessarily wrong, but what he thought he could bring to it. Okay. And I already know that he brought in all the alliteration. Right. Everybody has double M's or double W's. It's like it Wayland, helped him remember. Yeah, it's like Waylon Wayne or something like that. <laughs> um black batman by the way oh did he yeah mm. that's that's dan that's interesting um you know i i want i want to read that i want to um i want to see where he is going with that as far as contemporary marvel goes i've kind of fallen off the the, the rails when it comes to uh issue by issue but i was really liking captain america's run i'm hearing great things about uh cosmic ghost rider okay uh also immortal hulk i've heard some really really good things about but i see that they're gearing up for the war of the realms yes and that seems to be like it's going to be a that's gonna lot. be this 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 that's gonna be a massive sprawling epic. Yeah, yeah, it is. The the um, what are you what are you into nowadays? What are you, uh, what are you I'm I'm, I'm reading a lot of that stuff. I'm, I'm really enjoying the Coates Captain America so far. Okay, uh, they're shaping up for some interesting stuff going on, especially if you um, remember the Winter Soldier stuff. There's a lot of callbacks to that. Okay, um, I guess he was a big fan of that book. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense to go back to some of your most profitable runs, right? Absolutely. What, what people remember about those characters. Absolutely. I don't. I really, for the life of me, don't understand how they've ma- managed to maintain Spider-Man for as long as they have. <laughs> I, honestly, I, I don't understand how they keep coming up with new things for the teenage boy. We're 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 forty Who's now years. Now grown man. Now. Yeah, we're legit forty years in now, roughly. Yeah. yeah. And it's like we still got things for this kid, and I I don't care how they do it, but he just passed. Uh, issue 800 not too long ago, and now he has his own Spider Geddon, you know, the second big sprawling epic of his, uh, which I also want to read. I did read Spider Verse and I read Spider Island, which has okay. nothing to do with Spider Verse, but I thought it had some kind of connection or something like that. Okay, uh, I've been reading new Iron Man runs so far. You liking been, it? Huh? The Tony Stark Iron Man? Yes. You liking it? Yeah, it's been pretty amusing so far. They've set him up with Janet Van Dyne, that's a bit, di- that's interesting. Is Hank still Ultron? He is still Pimtron, yes. 
Okay. He he hasn't been seen since Big Bad Harvey. <laughs> he hasn't been seen since um Secret Empire as far as I'm concerned. Okay. When he flipped is, out on everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but he is that. still Pimtron. Um I think uh the only callback to Secret Well, I mean the the Captain America run is definitely referring to Secret Empire-like stuff, like Coates isn't straying away from that. Okay. I think the Deadpool book did have Deadpool going after Evil Steve. Because <laughs> he's real mad about what happened at the end of that. I know one of the Deadpool stories right now, he's a secret agent. Is he? Yeah, secret agent Deadpool. And I also know that they're, go- they're probably on issue one or two of Black Panther versus Deadpool. Uh, oh, yes, yes, they're on issue one of that. Yeah. Um, I'm very much keeping up with Thor just because it's the, the like the epicenter of this big War of the Realms thing as it has been. Did you and read Mighty Thor a lot? Yes, when I when I first got into it, yes, I, it was weird because I had to catch up on it and yeah. like it's a long stretch. Okay. Because you have um, I think it's called uh, I don't remember what the uh Thor I think Thor God of Thunder. Okay. Where do you have like um. Gore the God Butcher. Right. And then it runs right into Fear Itself where he loses the... Ha- or Original Sin where he loses the hammer. Yeah. And he says, like, you have a brother. Or something like that. And, no. And did you, did you find out what he said? I didn't find out what he said. Oh. You want me to tell you what he, he said? Yeah, sure. Uh, He just says Gore was right. Huh. And what did Gore say? That he didn't deserve the hammer? Um, That, that gods can't possibly be worthy because gods are selfish Claude. and uh, spiteful and all that. Huh. And like this, and him hearing that was almost something that Thor in his head couldn't deny, and that lack of confidence in it just kind of like made him drop the hammer. Yeah. Do you find yourself um, pining for the days of of uh, Jane Foster's Thor? Or it was you... an enjoyable run. I just I I thought it was a weird way they ended it off. Yeah. Where she doesn't like. Like, we built up this Death of Thor thing, and it didn't quite happen. Okay. So, like, she still has the cancer, but she's alive. She's just dealing with it. I, you know, I don't want to get anybody mad, but I do feel like a lot of these newer characters are missing the flair that Stan brought to a lot of the characters that he started with. Maybe. Where there was intricacies, where they, I feel like nowadays with these new characters, they're trying to make them fit a template more than, more than... I think there was the intricacy of Jane Foster... Having cancer? Uh... Feeling compelled to do this thing that is steadily killing her because she can't go through the process of fighting the cancer. Yeah. While being Thor. And it's also the idea like, well, I don't owe anybody anything. I'm not going to be here much longer. You know right. what I'm saying? Like, what do I, why should I even be doing any of this? Like, like she could fight the cancer, but every time she sits in the Thor, it purges her. Yeah. And because the chemo is seen as, you know, bad, it's, that's all gone too. But the cancer can't go away. Right. Because Cancer. It's all sorts of weird comic book cancer fighting, yeah. like, like uh, uh, Wade and stuff. On my way here, I was I finally started Secret Invasion. Ah, that's going to be fun. Yes. I can't wait to tear into that because I think that's going to inform a lot of Captain Marvel. So I think that... Uh, it is. Um, I am not as hype for the implications of the Secret Invasion for the MCU because I don't think you get to recover from that in the movies like you do in the comic books or the TV shows? Yeah. I mean, after even in the comics, when you think of the ecosystem, like, there should be, like, triple locks on everything now, right? Like, there should sure. be, like, five-point verification things for everything. Like, because look at, look at how quickly we were invaded. 
Um, I don't know how that works for the MCU. The only thing I can think about the MCU is if you just say certain people, key people or scrolls, you get to hand wave that away if they you don't want to hire those actors anymore, if you don't want to... Uh, to a degree, but like to, to me platforms. it's like... Like, I think of um, how how much certain people, like, even, um, I'm not sure about you, but definitely Yogi and a few other people I know, like, have that uh, memory of Earth's Mightiest Heroes where it turns out Captain America was a scroll and this, like, this dude's been using his face and it, it becomes a big showdown between real Captain America and Scroll Cap. Yeah. And it's like, you can't do that in the film because those films are a big part of the journey for him and then if you tell us that this person we've been on this journey with has never really been that person then those things didn't happen and it is or they probably probably shouldn't have happened because the real person wasn't in those situations it was an alien acting on autopilot and like first avenger happened but but like uh winter soldier and civil war wasn't the real person and even though it wasn't he was still acting incredibly like how right. normal Captain America would have acted, but and at I, the end, at the end of the day, like it, it's 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 like it didn't happen because it wasn't really him. Yeah, I I agree with that. I actually honestly agree with that, which is why I think that we cannot have a scroll be somebody who's had their own movies. Right. Which which brings up the roadie situation, right? Potentially, yes, or Potentially. even Sharon, or even Sharon, and then it goes to my to my tin foil hat theory of. We can have it be somebody we follow in the movies as long as we only follow them for the one movie where they are a scroll. <laughs> and I think, just like Earth's Mightiest Heroes, the the the, oh, the, the protagonist of the movie that we will be following <laughs> is not who we're supposed to be following. Okay. I honestly believe that we will find out that main Captain Marvel is on some Kree ship being, I don't know, electro- like upside down being electrocuted or something like that. Sure. And um, we'll have the one that we... The one that we find, we find, we, we the one that we end up following on Earth. The one that is never smiles, <laughs> and the one that can never remember where she's from. Punches an old woman. The one that punches an old woman. Uh, she is, um, she's an alien. That okay. that that's my theory. Just because we have to, we have to impart how easily it is to be fooled by these people, right? And how deep that they are in in this in this covert. Right, ops thing, and there's no better way to show a than to show a disillusioned scroll think that they're the real Captain Marvel, which happens in Secret Invasion. You'll get to it, but there's a, there is a scroll that actually believes that they are the superhero that they're imparting on, and they're battling the memories in their head, going, "I see, I see, like you know, I, I just, remember I signing just, up for this." I like, just got to the one where the scroll that is playing Mockingbird actually does give him gives Hawkeye, like, a real memory that only they would know yeah, and, and yeah. still finds out that she was a scroll. And, and there's, like, five like, points where everyone's like, she's a scroll, And he, she's like, no, I'm not. Nope. I'm not, Clint. I'm not. I love you. I love you. And remember I'm this. I'm going to tell you this story about this this baby we lost that only me and you would know. Yeah. And, like, and, okay, Clint's and convinced. Son of a... <laughs> Clint's convinced. And then you find out she was a scroll, And he was just like... We are killing all of them. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and I don't think we get that personal betrayal. We can't get per- that personal betrayal with anyone in the phases. No, because it yeah, because it wipes out all the phases. <laughs> enti- it wipes out an entire journey because it makes it all fake. And then it's just like, oh, right. you can't look at them the same again. Whereas, whereas if half a movie is fake and the memories are real, sure. right, then those memories are still there. If we right. get if we get the backstory from the scroll because the scroll remembers right. what happened, then we're still that's still information that we need, and then that could also be a reason why uh, 
Miss Danvers would be like, screw Earth. Yeah, we're following around a fake version of me sure. this entire time, and no one came looking until Nick got his eye chopped off or whatever. And right, they were right, like, right. This is kind of weird. Maybe we should be looking into this. Right. And that's why I think every time you see her blasting or getting ready to blast somebody, and you don't see who she's blasting. I think that's another. I think that's going to be Brie Larson two point Sure. Yeah, like those 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 auxiliary characters that they bring in for everyone else's side stuff could be like Vody could be a scroll. What about uh, uh, Maria Hill? Uh, certainly. Yeah, certainly could. Um, a lot of those characters could play that part. That don't really like it. It would it would inform Maria Hill in a very interesting way when she comes back after the snaps. Yeah, or um, if she comes back, what if knows. like Luis is a, <laughs> is a girl? Luis, the Spanish guy from uh, Ant Man. Oh Jesus! <laughs> oh man, I didn't know I was an alien, man. That'd be hilarious. That'd be funny. Um, let's talk about some uh, cameos before we get out of here. Uh, ones that we remember. Ones that we like. Oh man, Stan was always, a, you know, a showman and a mm-hmm. salesman. Uh, he actually wanted to be in movies right. originally. He wanted to be a movie star, but when he couldn't be a movie star, he eventually uh, settled for being uh, a cameo artist. You know, somebody who w- found a way to almost every single Marvel film that has been created. He found his way in through animation. Um, my favorite. Stanley cameo, the one that caught me completely off guard, is the one that we saw earlier this year in Teen Titans Go to the Movies. <laughs> you want to talk about bucket list? Oh, that is so meta. Things. The fact that he was able to sneak in on a uh, a DC uh, animated film and and get a cameo, I thought was absolutely amazing and definitely a bucket list item because it's like he's like he's done all the Marvel cameos. That's yeah. never gonna stop. Oh, it's not never gonna stop. But it's that's never gonna go away. Right, and so the fact that he was able to impart on DC's universe, DC, you know, artists and the company itself have gone on record of saying that regardless of where his contributions were made, he made contributions to the entire industry. Yes, and his waves are felt throughout the entire industry. Right, um, and I thought that was very respectful for DC Comics. But w- what cameos come to mind when you think of Stanley? Um, I think the most. The ones that I always stick out to me would probably be, first off, the most recent one where he makes a cameo in the Spider-Man video game that I did not even see coming. Uh, oh, yeah. And it was kind of, a, it, it felt very genuine. Yeah. Um, have you played it? I've seen the scene. Okay. Because someone showed me a picture and I'm like, is that the game? That's amazing. It, he did look great, right? Yeah, I was like, that is really, really good. Uh, it's, it, it's, yeah, it's like this really, it feels really genuine where he's telling like Mary Jane that him and Peter were always his favorite. Yeah. So like that kind of spoke to me as like, in, like, especially in his older age, you know, like, um, that, uh, he's reflecting on one of his favorite things that he got to write yeah. and create and be a big part of, um, another one of my favorites was Stanley as like talking to the watchers. Yes. Because it it gave all of his cameos sort of its own like potential mythos. Well, with the idea that everything's connected, and the idea that um you know if all these universes are connected, then how is the same one man seemingly in the middle of everything? And people started to speculate that he might be Uatu. He might yeah. be one of the Watchers. And it was something that was kind of like pfft, like thrown thrown to the That's side. So silly. And then here comes Guardians, and he's sitting there talking to them, he's talking like about, talking to Uatu and the other one. And he's talking about experiences that he's had. Like I was a mailman, you know, and I gave you know Tony Stank and all this other kind of stuff. I thought that was that was really really cool. It was really it was like it was really meta, but at the same time, just kind of like it informs everything he's kind of done. To so like yeah no, it's not super cosmic or important, but now there's something. To, 
there's a little something to it than just this cheesecakey fan service of like you've got a six Stan Lee in every scene. And also to be incredibly meta, like Stan Lee has now seen his creations outlive him, or now now actually literally outlive him, but yeah. but outlive his influence, right? Like he's yeah. no longer uh, doing the day to day character development for these people. It's, so it's, he's it's, become the watcher. He's become yeah. somebody who cannot interfere. You know, he stands back and lets. McFarlane played with Spider-Man and let's um who's the guy that was doing it Spencer Nick Spencer Nick Spencer uh, Captain America no who's the one who just did he did the, did the whole long run of Spider-Man then he just got off at 800 Dan Slott Dan Slott Dan Slott um, who's now doing Fantastic Four and Iron Man right um, he let Dan Slott play with this character you know everyone has their own envisions of this character and he has to be the watcher watching in the background um, and I think that yeah, that that's so cool. Um, I love his his cameos in um, Deadpool, where he is uh, a strip club DJ. <laughs> I never thought I'd see the day of that. Um, and I I like him more when you can't when you can't tell. And then he come. also got to do like the the cameo in a trailer. Yes, and the cameo he did a cameo um, in Guardian not Guardians and Thor where he's gonna be the one to cut Thor's hair. He's like some kind of weird yeah, <laughs> old that was so barber. Funky. Yeah, uh, Jack I, Kirby though it was all Jack Kirby'd out. You know, he had right. all those weird. So I, I really, really, really dug that. I thought that was pretty. I cool. think that in I, I, f- I am very interested now. Like I know there's a few more that they had already filmed. Mm-hmm. I am very interested to see where they do. I think they will keep the cameos up in their own way. Yeah, I don't think they'll like do anything digitally, stupidly silly. But digitally like resurrect CGI Stanley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, I think they will be very strategically placed like photos of him yeah. or particularly used video clips or sound bites for whatever particular reason. Yeah. Like, I could totally see some kid playing with toys and he pulls a string on the back and it just goes Excelsior. Yeah. I'm very and like, inter- that's it. Yeah, I'm very interested in seeing, they have to keep it, keep it running, they have to keep it up. Um, I'm, but I'm very interested in seeing, um, how they do it because it's going to be a weird world without Stanley cameos. I could totally see like like uh like uh you could you could have Spider-Man like walking through school and there's just like a picture of the two founders of his school where it's like Superintendent Kirby and Superintendent Lee. Oh, that that be yeah, I like that. Like there's just little things you can do to just keep them in the loop. Yeah, cuz I think he was a he was a police officer in like Jessica Jones or something like that. Like his pictures in the background as an officer. Oh, do they? Yeah, as an officer. Ah, interesting. Yeah, so it'd be very, very cool. You've got to really look out for those Netflix things. Yeah. He's like on the back of a bus, like a bus ad or something like that. Ah, they okay. do one for that, I think, in Luke Cage where he's just walking. But yeah, really, really, really good. Um, I guess I'll just end it, end this this sol- solemn, uh, this episode by saying that... More celebratory. Yeah, I started Comic Book Click in... 2016 because I started really truly believing in the message that comic books had and um, just how their nature of bringing people together and making people think of the best versions of themselves and I was really really motivated by Stan's message and the the characters in Marvel Comics it there's no um, coincidence that 2016 is also the first year I go to Comic-Con Right, because I have garnered the ca- the confidence given to me by these comic creators who told me that this is something that I could be proud of, something I could be proud to talk about, as we do here on the Major Issues podcast, uh, where next week we'll be dealing with our annual baby. Yes, sir. Um, but um, the year that I create this this haven for comic book 
uh, fans, new and old alike, to sit and talk about these characters and these stories that have changed how people uh, think, how people live. That same year is also the same year that I take a picture with Stanley. Ah, and yeah. so that's that picture there with me as Captain America. Um, <laughs> Stan has motivated many people to look for their own hidden abilities, their own hidden powers, to uh, to to feel the um, the burden of responsibility to to answer the call, right? Mm-hmm. To answer the call of the hero. Don't ignore it. That call is for you because you have the the power to um, answer it. Um, you know, take your opportunities take chances, make choices, uh, and be better because we all could be better. And that's something, that's also something I believe I have here tattooed, be greater. So be with a greater than sign because I honestly believe that people can honestly be greater. And to know... Oh, I thought that was the B team. All right? <laughs> and to hear um, these, these very words come out of Stan's mouth towards the end of his life about how everybody is... We're all family, mm-hmm. and we're all in the Marvel family. It's it's incredibly touching, and it will be his legacy that he leaves over his ability to connect people from all kinds of backgrounds and all kinds of um, cultures and races, religions, um, genders, and are able to bring them all underneath the Marvel banner. We are ma- the Marvel army. We are you know make mine Marvel, mm-hmm. um, create an identity, create a shared identity, and I want to personally thank Stan Lee for that. Thank you, Mr. Lee. Um. Uh, a lot of what I had already put on Twitter is is this for me. Like, even though I only started reading comic books two almost going on three years ago, uh, Stan Lee and his messages and his lessons have been a part of my life since I was five years old watching X Men the animated series in nineteen ninety two. Yeah, you're right. So it's like even though it's all it, even though it has mostly been from a distance, I have been. Uh, inspired and influenced by the man and he's been like a part of my home since I was a small child yeah despite the fact that my medium was much different than a lot of others he was a constant yeah and and goodness was a constant and mm-hmm. it was a constant that exists in his world and he only wanted you to ever consider mm-hmm. that it could exist in this world too it, and it, it was X-Men treating me to treat all people with the same respect as human as human beings, whether or not they have you know differences than I do, it was it was Spider Man teaching me about responsibility and respect for the little guy, and that all the responsibility is important, not just mm-hmm. your superhero stuff, but your work stuff, your yeah. school stuff. That you 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 have to you know be a, a, a great nephew, and you have to be a good boyfriend, and you have to be yes. a good friend. <laughs> you have to try your best to be these good things, and. Ultimately, even when Spider-Man wants to quit, he's reached with the idea that this is you. This is always going to be you. Yeah. Um, when this when this dropped, we sat and we um, we wondered how we were going to tackle it. I I wanted I instantly wanted to do an episode on it, but then I started to feel like I would not have much to say that others didn't. But I guess that's not what it's about. It's more about us being able to eulogize um, Stanley in our own way mm-hmm. and show how he's changed our lives because, again, our story is unique, but we are unique as a collective, yeah. <laughs> which is weird to say how something is unique and also all-inclusive. Um, I want to thank you for being able to rope me back into doing the Stan Lee episode because <laughs> this is going to serve very much like our Avengers episode where it was therapy and people can hear... That just like us, just like GT uh, Rebirth and the Don, we are also humans 
who are using our powers to the best of their abilities and trying yes. our very best to uh, bring you guys all in, remind you guys that you are all worthy, that you're all part of the clique. And um, we have great men like Stan who uh, were trumpeting those um, ideas and morals way before us to thank for that. But next week is the annuals, the year year episode, year anniversary episode for Major Issues Podcast. So you have great power with those cell phones in your hands and you have to use great responsibility to listen to our other 50 episodes after you listen to this. Uh, it's a lot. But you know, uh, I think I think you could do it. You've all got long car drives and in, in public transit. That's it. We're all, and the, you know what also helps, GT, the fact that the major issues podcast is available wherever podcasts are found. That's, Everywhere. That's Stitcher, Podcast Addict, Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, Google Play. Uh, if you have a iPhone, it, you have a pre-installed app. Uh, yes. Called the podcast app that you probably didn't know was pre-installed, and that's what you kind of get. And so Apple just likes to sneak stuff into your. That's it. They, your they, they did that with a YouTube album, remember? Yes, they, they did. They just gave everybody a YouTube album when they. But um, uh, can they just drop? Can you drop comics, please? Into uh, hmm? can you drop comics into my phone? Like they, oh, I yeah. never accidentally yeah, nice. got a feature film. You can buy comics on Google Play, but it's just like. <laughs> and after you do, don't make sure you look for the major issues podcast. <laughs> if you have an iPhone or you have a pod, the podcast app, all you have to do is uh, in the podcast app search major issues, and you see us pop right up in white, black, and yellow. If you have a regular phone, the easiest way go to Google, type in major issues podcast, and we're the first ones to pop right up. Uh, and I'm proud of that. I'm proud that we are Google Googleable. Yes. I don't know. I'm you not can sure Google it. You can go ahead, Google it. We exist on the Google. But major issues. We'll is put that on a shirt. You can Google it. There you go. Major issues is brought to you by Comic Book Click, uh, and so that's where you can really reach all of us here at the Major Issues Podcast under our parent company, Comic Book Click, by going to Instagram at Comic Book Click, uh, Facebook.com/slash Comic Book Click. Or use the hashtag comic book click to talk about the newest, hottest, latest, and greatest things to come to comic books and comic book media. That's TV, comic book, graphic novels, uh, movies. We talk about it all here. We also have a Twitter, at Major Issues CBC. Uh, Greg, you want to go ahead and give them your Twitter? My Twitter handle is RebirthGT. You can speak to me anytime, and anything you have to say, I will do my best to answer it in the most snarky way I possibly can. <laughs> we are revamping our social media to give some facts and figures, um, some of this month in comic book history, uh, go into some deep dives into some of these villains that you are seeing being portrayed for the very first time on TV and uh, movies. We're having a lot of fun and we're getting way more fan engagement than we ever have and it's thanks to you guys. Our numbers are growing and I've been to the future and I see that we have become the latest and greatest thing to come to comic books and comic book media, but it takes your guys' help. A very last thing you can do, our birthday's coming up, our, our, our uh, annual's coming up. If you can rate and review us on iTunes, uh, that's the quickest way for us to grow as podcasters and grow our audience. To know the do's and don'ts of what you guys like and what you guys don't. And how to best uh, communicate our message and our uh, these episodes to you guys. Let us know how we're doing and we can improve and be uh, better and reach the epitome that we think we can with this podcast. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm at a loss for words. My name is George <laughs> Serrano, a.k.a. The Don. I am Gregory Thomas, a.k.a. GT Weber. And 
we want to thank you, Stan. Stan, the man, uh, for everything that you have done, uh, for everything that you have taught us, for the lessons learned and the friends made along the way, and for the general idea that it doesn't matter whether or not you are a 15-year-old bitten by a radioactive spider or somebody hit with some massive waves of gamma radiation or somebody born with the X gene, which brought you some kind of fantastical, magical powers. It didn't matter whether or not you thought... Uh, well, whether or not you were a god of thunder. Mm. It didn't matter whether you had the proportional strength of an ant. Yes. It didn't matter if you were incredible, fantastic. Amazing. Superior. <laughs> uncanny. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I got another one in here somewhere. For the most part, I think you did. Amazing. Did I say, you said Invincible? spectacular? Invincible. <laughs> incredible. It, it doesn't matter from what corner of life that you are. We, at least today, are the click. We, at least today, are Marvel. And you, yes, you, are worthy. Excelsior. Enough said.